Hello, fun Philistines and assorted listeners. This is Jordan, uh, speaking to you post-podcast recording, because, as you can probably tell, we're still kind of working out the kinks with the new equipment. Um, We encountered a pretty big kink, because Sam's microphone just kind of stopped recording for no reason about halfway through, Um, and it took us about 40 minutes to realise. Thankfully, we were able to salvage the audio from my mic and from Eddie's mic, so you can always hear Sam, but there's going to be a stretch of time where he's just a little bit quieter and a bit more distant uh, than his usual self. We apologise for that. Um, hopefully, well, it doesn't happen again during this episode, and we've taken steps to ensure that it won't happen again in the future. Uh, but other than that, enjoy the second part of our Top 10 of the 10s podcast. Okay. Uh, the next one on my list, uh, number six, is Django Unchained. Django! is a cracking... Django! <laughs> <laughs> Again, cracking film. Uh, for me, it's the best Tarantino film. What's it about, Eddie? About <laughs> What's it about? It's about a dude named Django. Okay. And gets Unchained. <laughs> oh, he's doing the thing. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Okay. D- say the... Give us the plot, and now I want to make a point. (laughs) (laughs) Contrary to what we've been doing so far. Honestly, the best way of putting the plot, I'm not entirely sure. But essentially, it's about a guy who is a slave. Yes. He gets kind of freed. Yeah. And then works with the guy who kind of freed him. Yeah. Bounty hunters, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They become bounty hunters. Yes. Yes, I, I do give plaudits to DiCaprio for the one particular scene where he cuts his hand open. Yes. Um, which is now infamous at this point. Yeah. yeah. Where he, uh, yeah, he slams his hand on the table, breaks a glass, which was not intended. So when you, but he carries on the scene. So as you see his hand bleeding throughout the scene, he's actually bleeding. Yes. Yeah. Do we, you know when he smears it over Carrie Washington's face? Yeah. Do we know that if that is, because I, I feel like uh, towards close to the time, people were reporting that he had just stayed in character and had done that. I'm like, yes. yeah. I know. Nah. You, you not, I don't care how committed you are, you're not going to wipe your blood over the the face of another actor. It's, yeah, I don't know, because it's the same shot as when we see him cut his hand, mm. but we've cut away a few times. So I don't know whether, yeah. like, maybe hidden in between the cuts. Yeah, like, the, it had, he rolled with it, like, ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. Let's, uh, you know, Let's fix him up. Because, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, I just don't see him rubbing. I mean, she responds as you would, mm. but I feel like... And an actress would go, what the fuck? Cut, here's, cut it. Yeah, here's the thing though. Sam Jackson, because I made a point of watching Sam Jackson because he's also in the shot. Mm. Um, he doesn't really react to it. No. Which implies to me that maybe she knew that was going to happen. So, yeah, it Sam wasn't Jackson's just... Sam Jackson's a prick in, in this moment. film as well. He's great. Yeah. He's, he's great. great. He's oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fantastic cast yeah. turning in fantastic performances. Yeah. You wanted to make a point, Sam. I don't want to deviate too far from that. Well, I, I was going to make it. I, I thought about it as you were talking. And I've sort of made the point with myself oh, okay. so basically I was going to say about using the n-word <laughs> the n-word is used a bunch in this film which is I suppose period accurate yes um, but the question is uh, well I think you posed this before mm. is that um, Tarantino enjoys being able to use the n-word yes so how much of this is him finding reasons to use it You know. yeah I wouldn't be surprised. Like, you know, well, so f- he does because he's in it, isn't he, Tarantino? <laughs> he's yeah. in it towards the end, and he uses the word as well. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, like, he does. He I, wrote I mean, a he scene does. for himself. Yeah, yeah. 
to say the word. But you're saying he did it in Pulp Fiction, yeah. which isn't about slavery. No. <laughs> you know, he just set you know yeah. famous dead in storage. And yeah, he clearly likes it. But I, I don't think he likes it in a um obviously in a racist way. I don't think he likes it in a oh look at me being edgy way. Mm. I think he likes the idea that he kind of is black. Genuinely. I think if you see him in interviews, uh, yeah. man, no, I, he sometimes I, I, I gets, I yeah. he sometimes starts talking like that. Yeah. Uh, like even accepting speeches and stuff. Can you, imagine yeah. if, can you imagine if he wins an Oscar for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Well, he did for Django, didn't he? No, no, but yeah, yeah but does, did he say it at the... Uh, <laughs> imagine it just... I don't think he'd say it in life, to no, be fair. No, no, just at, at the Oscars for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, best script, well, you know... <laughs> I gotta thank the. Uh... They can use my. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think uh, he just he loves black exploitation films where yes, they say it all the time. So I think he just like, oh, it's okay. Like I, I can say that word as well, you know. Uh, but yes, you have to ask how much of it is it's chronistic to the period. Yes. Uh, and how much as he kind of reverse engineered the film mm. as an ex- as an excuse to litter the end bomb yeah. throughout it. Yeah. I mean. We got Django Unchained out of it. We did, and I do like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, it derives quite a lot of humour from that word. Yes, I will it say. does. And you've got <laughs> you're watching it like, mm, is this okay? <laughs> I, I think it is because it, it's satirising racism, isn't it? I'm, yes. not, I'm not saying it's Mel Brooks here, but it's yeah, it's not it's not on that level. No, it's not on that level. But it, it kind of it's it's not just done aggressively or kind of there's there's usually a no, I'm not gonna say there's there's a a point to it because there's not it, 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 people just say it but there are instances where if you were confused about uh, Tarantino's liberal credentials yeah there are moments in the film where he is clearly satirizing racism yeah much better than Jojo Rabbit does by the way uh, oh yeah because that's yeah. a recent example but, yeah. yeah and so like uh, an example would be in the scene where Django and King Shots played by Christopher Waltz go yeah. to Don Johnson's the big go- house the big house, yeah. yeah. They go to his plantation, and uh, Django's a free man at this point. Yeah. And so Don Johnson says to one of his slaves, "Oh, treat Django like you would like any other, like like the the milk boy or something like that that comes from the the, the town." She's like, "Oh, you want me to treat him like a white man?" He's like, "Okay, no, not 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 quite, not quite like a white man. Yeah, more like." And he's like, he can't ex- find the correct level at which yeah. the the correct level of vitriol with which he should treat Django. <laughs> I think scenes like that is like, oh, there's clearly a satirical yes. element yes. to yeah. this, you know. Um, and yeah. uh, most of the racists are portrayed as fools, aren't they? Yeah. Mm, you know? Yeah. Uh, DiCaprio, who sort of ends up becoming the main... Well, is he the main villain? Yeah. Sam Jackson, I, I would say, is more of a threat than It's more of a threat, and he obviously ends up uh, outliving DiCaprio. Yeah. But I would say DiCaprio is the main villain of the film. Okay. Yeah. Speak. It's his plantation. Yes, his, but know. he's like portrayed as like a gullible fool. Were yeah. not for Sam Jackson, they would have their plan would have paid off. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Johnson, like the KKK scene that follows that, they're all portrayed as just idiots. Yeah. yeah. Um, Speaking yeah. of which, one of my critiques: Why the hell do they structure it that way, where they ride into ride the Valkyries to the to the wagon, mm-hmm. and then it goes back and shows the preamble where the it's the whole banter about the bags on the heads? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. What is the point of that? It's such an odd edit. I don't know why he did that. I don't know. I don't know if it's because there's a few moments, not just in this film, broadly speaking. Yeah. Tarantino will like start a scene to music, and then the music will just cut out, and yeah. we're in like a different part of the scene. Yeah, um, and obviously that sudden cut. In many cases, it's sort of the jarringness is kind of comedic. Yeah. So I don't know whether that was he was okay, structuring he, it. For he comedy. does it in enough films that 
that must be a thing for him. It, where I he, think it is, yeah. He's like, nah, I'm doing this, it works this way. Yeah, and maybe it's just like, maybe he was structuring it for comedy, maybe he was just like, oh, you know, we get, I don't know how to fit in Ride the Valkyries if we just do the preamble and then come in. And Yeah. Is it maybe like, oh, to introduce them as this kind of Wagnerian, because obviously Ride the Valkyries is used to, in Death of um, death. Uh, Birth for Nation. Yes. Uh, with the KKK yeah, riding yeah. in. And so is it a case of, oh, we introduce them as this kind of imperial force. And then immediately. And, da, 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 yeah. and then instantly yeah. undercut it. It yeah. could very well I, I be the get case. that, but mm. it's like it's not necessary. Like, we all know the, the, the iconography of the KKK is kind of repellent enough. Mm. You don't need to think of them as aggressive. You know what I mean? Like, we know they're evil. Yeah. Just them wearing the masks. I get it. You yeah. Know? They could have had, because literally it goes from them riding in to them scoping it out, doesn't it? John, yes. Johnston and Jonah Hill are yeah. scoping it out. Then they return to their posse. Hmm. So like you could have just gone straight from the them yeah. going to the posse all with their hoods on their heads, like, ooh, it's the KKK. Yeah. And then they have that stupid conversation. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, yeah. You easily could have done that. I, I yeah. just don't know why they edited it that way around. Tarantino thing. Tarantino. Yeah. Like, as I say, I think, for me, I think it is my favourite film of his of this decade. I concur. Okay. I, I do like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. But I don't think it's as good. No. And Hateful Eight definitely isn't. No. Um, Where does it stand in the pantheon of Tarantino? Oh. It's not as good as Inglorious Bastards. No. Not as good as Pulp Fiction. And that's that's one uh, criticism I have, although I don't really know how you work around it. I like King Schultz. I like yeah. that performance. But I just... I He's Hans Lander. You know, I can't stop thinking of Hans Lander. Yes, but I haven't seen Christoph Waltz give any performance that wasn't Hans Lander. To be no, fair. that's fair. But also, it's like the most recent because Inglorious came just before uh, Django. It was like the next film. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. It did it's three um, years between them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it feels a bit like you know you've just had this. Maybe like if you're not going to do anything different with him, maybe we should like wait a film before we bring him back. The thing is, it's, it's hard because it's not like he doesn't do anything. Di- I mean, it's a totally different character. It's Yeah, and it's he's even like, because he's a villain in The Glorious, whereas yeah. he's um, the secondary hero in this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, he's the mental yeah. figure. Yeah. And is it just a case of it's Tarantino dialogue, so he's kind of delivering it the same I mean, he's not quite as menacing as he is in Inglorious Bastards. No. I would say, even as a as a hero, I don't, he's not quite as threatening. I don't think. Oh no, no. no. He has his moments, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But okay, if we're going to talk about Waltz, um, when he dies, mm. I've got a big problem with how that happens. Okay. Because that character is the vo- the, the complete force of intellect and wisdom and reasonableness. Yeah. In the South, right? Mm. He's European. He doesn't understand slavery. Yeah. He's the outsider who gets it. Yeah. They're there to save Broomhilda. Yeah. Django's wife. Django's wife. And then, uh, because DiCaprio, in, when DiCaprio finds out that he's being, you know, conned, he makes an agreement with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For them to leave. But the condition is that Waltz has to shake his hand. And he just can't bear the idea of shaking a hand with such a deeply foul, racist guy. Yeah. So he shoots him, right? Yes. Triggering a massive gunfight where, like, everyone gets blown away. It's very against that character to do something so rash, don't you think? I know so oh, he couldn't bear... But it, we haven't really been exposed to his... We get that he's not racist. Yeah. But it comes out of nowhere, like, oh, I can't even bear to shake your hand. Mm. It's I, such I, yeah, like, I, practically, I think for you them, just do the, it and get out. The idea is that they built this up over the scene... Yeah, yeah. Of how disgusting the character is. Yeah, okay, because it, it keeps flashing back to the dogs tearing apart the slave. Yeah. And he's, like, he's clearly, like, traumatised by it. But I just think, for that kind of character... 
he would be more level-headed than to just completely fuck up their chances. He would he would just do it mm. and hate that he did it and then leave. Do you know what I mean? No, well, I mean, but the he's also is... got the gun on it down his sleeve, and I th- I imagine he's aware of that. Yeah, no, but... no uh, DiCaprio is aware of that. No, no, no. As in, Christoph Waltz is aware that he has got a gun. Oh yeah, absolutely. Here. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And DiCaprio very much suspects that there is something up, given that he won't shake his hand. Oh no, no! I think DiCaprio's too. Um, like, yeah, he thinks caught he's up in, Yeah, he he's too he's caught won. up in yeah. his victory to yeah. give a shit at this point. I and I think, think yeah, yeah, the film clearly is trying to show that Waltz is um, like Waltz is being broken down by this. You know, the obviously everything, the horrors that he's witnessed throughout the film with like the Mandingo, Mandingo fighting and the dogs, mm-hmm. and then you've got just the the fact that DiCaprio just won't stop taunting him and won't stop trying to like li- get up leg up on him. Yeah. Um, no, I, I completely understood because obviously the film wants you to hate DiCaprio as well. And you like, do, like, yeah, yeah. You you want that character dead towards the you end do, of the film. but I, I dare I say. So it's kind of nice that the goodest character in the film. Yeah, and I Tarantino's probably thinking, well, Jamie Fox is going to kill Sam Jackson. Yeah. So we'll have Waltz kill yeah. DiCaprio. Yeah. But I think honestly, he probably wrote that big scene, which is the highlight of the film, that yeah. didn't yeah, table yeah. scene. And I was like, oh shit! But how do I? I've I've written myself out of it now. Like yeah. they, they've, how do I fuck things up? Mm. Oh, I'll just have Waltz like be so offended by DiCaprio that he kills him. Okay, and it's like here's the thing: most characters in well, anything in that situation where he's like demanding that he shake his hand in a really smug way might well go fuck you and just shoot him. But Waltz just that character wouldn't. I don't think that character would be too smart. Like, oh, fine. Like, I'll, I'll swallow my pride and do it. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you've also got to keep in mind that this guy is like... Wouldn't you? Well, he's like a bounty hunter, isn't he? He's he's used... To, he knows an evil man when he sees one. So I don't know whether that's supposed to feed into it. Like, he knows that... Even though DiCaprio has not done anything wrong, per se... Um, well, I just think he finds him so odious, doesn't he? He just... He, he's so disgusting a human being. Yeah. He can't lower himself to shake his hand. Yes. That's what that is. Yeah. And I, in in most situations, wouldn't either. But if it's like, right, either shake the Nazi's hand mm. or you die and everyone yeah. else dies. Mm. I mean, at that point, I'm swallowing my ethics. And, ugh, fine. Nah. I'll shake the Nazi's hand. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. Like, so most characters, you get fair a enough. big old shootout <laughs> and it's fun. <sighs> yeah, but he's asking you as a person in that situation as opposed to yeah, as an audience member. Yeah, I'm f- I'm absolutely fine. Oh yeah, fine like Django and Shane, the less you think about it, the better in a way. It's fun. <laughs> it is fun. And I've I've got as a note here like I don't know where I stand on the gratuity. Um Oh, it's great. No. <laughs> I've got saying it's okay because they're slave traders is sketchy because Tarantino created the conditions not of slavery, but <laughs> yeah. Um, well, of his I mean, world, you know. He has some dodgy ties. I know. Yeah. But on the flip side, yeah, who cares? Maybe yeah. the violence doesn't need to be justified. As he says in that interview, she, um, he's, she's like, why are you feeling so violent, Quentin? He's like, because it's so much fun, man. Yeah. And yeah, he's a child. We've discussed how much of a child yeah, he is. Yes. Yes. But um, yeah, who cares? It's fun. I don't mm. really... You can say, uh, you know, oh, he picks easy targets, he picks Nazis, and he picks racists. People we don't mind seeing getting torn limb from limbs. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's I mean, completely okay. Yeah, exactly. Ha, ha, the Manson family. I would say, ha, hands down, one of the best things about Inglorious Bastards is the way they play with like Hitler and everything. Yeah, when it just becomes alternate history. Yeah, it's the most moment. exploitative, not exploitative, but like exploitational shot of all time. But 
Eli Roth or whoever it is shooting off Hitler's face. Yeah. <laughs> is pure movie magic. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah it is. Fuck yeah, you know. So that, yeah, I yeah. sort of don't care because I, I don't want to be a Ponzi kind of, no. oh, I don't know where I stand on the violin. Who cares? Say, it's, it's a no, movie. To, to be fair, this made my list because it's fun. And really it's tar- fun. And yeah. it's Tarantino. I forgot how much fun it is. Yeah. I dare say in the fewer than 10 years that have, that have elapsed since then, I don't think he'd as easily be able to make Django Unchained now as he could even in 2012. No, not at all. I think there would just be more questions and like you can't, you can't do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, there was enough yeah. questions with some of the things. Well, as soon as it came out that he was doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and it was going to involve the Mansons, there was enough questions about that. Yeah, people yeah. panicked a bit, didn't they? And then he had a flamethrower and he burnt <laughs> someone's face off in a pole <laughs> and it was fun. He knows how to kill a person, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Well, yeah. well, I mean, he rips off everything he ever does from other films, to be fair. Well, but, we yes. Yeah, like going back to this idea of is the violence justified, you know, mm. which feels like you're, you're sort of speaking about it on the wrong level almost. Yeah. Um, so that made me think, maybe this isn't art, it's entertainment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think to consider it a work of art is kind of doing it a disservice in a way. Like, it feels almost like a criticism to say it's not art. But no, it's just different. It's like Marvel and, you know, cinema. They're, just, they're two different things. Mm. Tarantino is his own kettle of fish. Yeah, and I will say, go, we went to see Django Unchained, didn't we, in the cinema? We did, yeah. That felt that like it was an event, going to see a Tarantino. I, mean, yeah. I think it's the only one we've ever been to see in a cinema. Yeah, because I think we, we turned 18 around about the time that film came out. We would have done, So yeah. it, was, it was probably our first 18 in the cinema. I think it because, yeah, I would have turned 18 in the December of 2012, and it came out on January 13 for us. Yes, it did. So, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Wow, you had a decent first 18. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Jonah Hill's presence is a little bit distracting. Yeah, it's like oh, look, it's Jonah Hill because it's not a character. Like it's no, just Jonah it's Hill. Jonah yeah, yeah. Hill yeah. for yeah. the sake of Jonah Hill. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit strange. What What do you think is the biggest problem with the film? It's not the biggest problem in the film, but one of the notes I've got written yeah. down because I got around to this one. Oh, I good. saw this one, good. fellas. Fuck it, I actually George. did. The, I actually did the <laughs> homework. Um, I just think this, and this is like a criticism of all cinema. We need to retire the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> It's I'm just, okay. It's, no, it's okay in it's, Django. It's too distracting. It's okay in Django because, like, you know, it's it's calling back to those sorts of films. Yeah, I know it? what yeah. you mean. But yeah. as soon as I heard it, I was just I was out of the film. Just really? Yeah. It, Don't you just accept it as part of like the ta- the or the sonic tapestry of cinema? Like it's just a part of that. Like you, do, you know. The thing is, like. Um, no, I no no. Do not retire the Wilhelm <laughs> screen. No, no. I was going to say the thing is like. Um, if you watch enough films, and if you're sort of paying attention to, because um, you know I'm an editor or an aspiring editor, so I'm sort of familiar with like post-production and stuff uh-huh. like that. You start to you like you tend to notice when people are like using um, stock sound effects and stuff. Yeah, that's something that like in the past few years I've started to notice. There's yeah. always like the same like sound of like a metal door opening, or like you know when they're using like stock crowd effects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the Wilhelm, the Wilhelm scream is one of the few things that Hollywood is like deliberately using. Other right. films deliberately use the Wilhelm scream. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a joke. We're using the Wilhelm scream, and it's just too too much at this point. Okay, for, it might just be a thing for me, like a criticism that I have. But... He said the word Wilhelm scream like seven yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, it might I, it might I mean, just be a criticism I, I might have, it. but yeah. I yeah I as soon as I hear it in anything, even if it's like appropriate right there probably is an argument to be made about yeah 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 you can use the Wilhelm scream in Django Unchained 
but whenever I hear it now, it's just like, oh, I'm at the film now. Okay, no, I definitely don't have that. Okay. But yeah, we all we all know it when we hear it. Yeah. But yeah, I can't say it's ever taken me out of a thing. I, I, no. I My brain, a percentage of it goes, oh, it's the Wilhelm scream. Mm. And then it's just yeah. kind of, you know. Uh, right, well, my biggest, it goes on way too long. Yes, it does. I would, I, and yeah. I will agree yeah. to that. Yeah. I will completely and utterly agree. I mean, yeah. that... Uh, shootout that's brought on by Volts killing uh, DiCaprio. Yeah. That should have been the end. Make of that it. your final set piece. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's too. I was. I was. The film for me should have ended with that happening and then him walking away. Yeah, I mean it's it's deeply appropriate that Tarantino shows up in the part of the film where it's going on too long. <laughs> he comes to announce, "Oh, I'm gonna scan up with the waist Australian Nixon Diva. Yeah, I'm gonna fucking drag this past the pond and now routine." <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I was watching it because so, obviously it's two hours forty-five. I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a long film. Yeah. So I sort of I was watching it because I've seen it a bunch of times already. So I was kind of watching it with the mind of, okay, I'm a script editor and I have to cut this down a few, like cut this down a bit. Yeah. What do I get rid of? Um, and yeah, definitely that that shootout in the house brought on by Volts killing the that should have been like the end of the film. Yeah. Because when the film sort of carries on after that scene. You feel like the the momentum sort of drain from you. You feel the moment where you're just like, I'm not really with the film anymore. Yeah, we've I, peaked. You know, we have. I get why they do it. They do it because you've got to kill the mental character so that the mentee can become who he is. You yeah, know? Like, I get. Yeah, because it's not it's not superfluous. Things that were set up earlier pay off during this portion of the uh. film. So it's not like oh, the film ended and then there's a little bit more. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's the same with Kill Bill. It, it, when Bill starts talking about comic books, when she they're at his house, and like, again, we haven't seen Bill yeah. for four hours, so we want to get as much of him as we can. Yeah. But they, he just starts talking about why he likes Superman, and you're going, oh, Quentin. <laughs> I get, I, it's an, a neat little idea. I get, write a book or a fucking blog about I Just don't put it in the film. It's yeah. been here for four hours. And yeah, like with uh, Django. Yes, the whole Australian miners thing is like, why is this here? Mm. Why have you cast yourself in a role where you have to do an Australian accent, which you can't do? <laughs> um, I guess because you want to get a shot with, you know, holding the dynamite. Yeah, you yeah. wanted to be that guy. Yeah. And I get it on a structural level of like, right, his mantle's been killed. He now has to rise from the ashes, mm. wear the gaudy black exploitation outfit, yeah. and kill all the, you know, the, the white supremacists. But yeah, it, there's there was a way of splicing that together with the... Yes. Because Waltz didn't need to die. It's not like it, it had to happen for that story. No, I feel like that's probably... Keeping in mind that obviously all of Tarantino's films draw heavy inspiration from yeah, yeah. genre films and stuff. Yeah, okay. He was going to die. I don't think he was ever going to survive that. Okay, no. but maybe not when he did. Like, they, he could have, they, those two could have taken on the house and then Waltz got killed just in like the, you know, that maybe. battle, basically. He didn't need to die and then have Jamie Foxx single-handedly take down everyone you know? I suppose not but because that's certain you know like that, that's another cliche of the genre is the two bounty hunters you know yes going on different adventures yeah um yeah Tarantino is dreadful in it but he is <laughs> dreadful in kind of everything yeah uh it does go on for too long it would have been longer because they had there's a whole bit with Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it that they just took yeah out. yeah um oh yeah okay so after he's destroyed the house and killed Sam Jackson and all that and he's you know he, he's Django now and he's showing off and he's yeah. like smiling with a cigar yeah. and everything okay and then he just gets in his horse and he just starts doing tricks on his horse yeah. and like <laughs> it's looking at your watch, watch. Yeah. Like, 
I get it. You're cool now. Yeah. <laughs> just fucking blow the house up and then ride off. Yeah. Don't just stop. Yeah, but he's cool. Because it's weird. It's you weird. said it yourself. It's cool. weird because it, the the cut it just cuts to the horse, and he's doing like the fucking walking trick with it. Yeah. Mm. And it's a comic shock because you, you're just sitting there going, "Why have you done this? Why have you <laughs> included this in the it's film?" It's Tarantino. His thought process is, "Why the fuck not?" I know that, and, and indulgence I, I, can be fun, but I just cut it down. Just cut it down. Yeah, a bit. I, 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 I don't know, know whether yeah. it was um, so that he can have a moment, share a moment with his wife uh, now that they're sort of free of this evil, at least for now. I guess it's funny because he's, he's showing off to his wife, isn't he? He is showing off to his yeah. wife. Yeah. And I, I think she's quite impact. Well, she is sort of empowered by that point, right? Yeah. Because when he blows it up, doesn't she like very coolly like put her hand over her eyes or something uh, like finger that? Finger in her ears. Finger in her ears. Or yeah, yeah. Um, like I get it, but if he was acting like that, and I hadn't seen him for however long it is. Yeah. It's like, oh my god, he's become a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> he's become a sadist. I don't know. It's the fact that he's killing white men. He that kills Sam be. Jackson. He does kill Sam you know? Jackson. Yeah, but, but Sam Jackson Sam Jackson, Jackson he's was trying to get a lot of other black yeah. people killed. killed. Yeah, they yeah. kind of make a point that like the position Sam Jackson occupies, he's like lower than he's lowest of the low, you know? He kills oh, he's blacks lowest, and he, treat, he treats blacks he's like He's lowest of low well. morally. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. He is what you call Uncle Tom. Yeah, not, absolutely. Not what we would call Uncle Tom, but what No, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's where the term would apply. Yeah. Um and finally just the the production design. I love the production design of it. Oh, it's a gorgeous film. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous yeah. film. Um, of course, Tarantino still shoots on film. He does. Absolutely. Keep shooting on film, Quentin. Yeah. No, not that you were planning on quitting, but... Uh, the squibs. Well, <laughs> I mean, he might have only one more. if he. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The squibs are completely over the top and ridiculous, and I love it. Yeah. It's just <laughs> so stupid. It's great. The The first time you see it, when it's the first scene where he sort of purchases Django and then... Uh, shoots the captors. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like you're not expecting just the sh- the explosion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he only shoots him in the leg, and his blood and <laughs> bone just explodes yeah. out yeah. of him. It's great. What's the scene where it, I think it must be the final gunfight in the house where someone keeps getting hit, and it's just like it, it's like a pud- like a bus going through a puddle. It's just like splashing yeah. continually. I think that's <laughs> yeah, that's the what we say should be the climax. Okay, scene. yeah, yeah. Um, and there's like a guy at the front door that is sort of in between the gunfire, and he's getting shot in the knee. And he's that's just right. screaming <laughs> as it's spraying up the walls. Yeah, it's so ridiculous. That's no, fantastic. I I also like yeah because Tarantino is a very indulgent um, individual. <laughs> yes. Um, I feel like when it comes to constructing a scene, that's not something that I would change about him. Because scenes no, do go set on. pieces, he's amazing at set yeah, pieces. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Not, it's not, it's from Inglorious Bastards, yeah. but, you know, the opening scene of Inglorious, it's like a yeah staple but, of cinema at that at this point, I would say. Yeah, with the exception of Reservoir Dogs, when you think of a Tarantino film, you think of scenes. Yes. You think of those scenes from Inglorious Bastards. The film is just, uh, sounds stupid to say, it's a series of scenes. <laughs> of course it is, but you know what I mean, like, yes. a series of set pieces, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, Django, you think of the, the dinner scene. Yeah. Inglorious, obviously, the milk scene. Yeah. You think of um, the bar. Yeah. Yeah, it's all, like, yeah. yeah, conversational set pieces. Yeah. He just knows how to... Um, he just knows how to pace a scene. Rhythm. Yeah. He writes yeah. the music, doesn't he? Which he does. makes sense. Absolutely. In Pulp Fiction, the, the thing I always think of, at least, is Vincent and Jules, like, just their chatter before they go in for the hit. Yeah. He's great at dialogue set pieces. You mm. can't... Yeah, yeah. You can't take that away from yeah. him. But they all do speak like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. yeah, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. All of Aaron Sorkin's characters talk like Aaron Sorkin. Very true. You know, don't slam Sorkin now. No, it wasn't. <laughs> nah. that, that, that was <laughs> the point. But yeah, I was just going to say, like, looking at it as a script doctor, like, what do I cut? 
the only you 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 can only cut scenes. You can't cut dialogue. I don't think from Tarantino. No, no, yeah, you cut yeah bits, strands, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, he like purchases Django, uh, frees Django, and then they go to like this. I think it's Daughtry, Texas. It's like this small, typical Western yeah. town. And initially, I was like, okay, this is like cool, and it's mm. like a cool introduction to Waltz and like what he does. But then it's all it's followed by the scene where they hunt down the Brickle Brothers. Yeah. It's like, well, surely this scene would also serve that purpose. We don't need yes. the daughtry, the daughtry scene. Although there was a cool detail that I noticed that I didn't notice until this most recent rewatch, and that is that Django's saddle and like get up when he becomes like a co-bounty hunter with Christoph Waltz, all of that stuff is sort of made for him in Daughtry, oh, right. presumably as like a thank you for, oh, okay, um, you know, the fact that uh, yeah. their sheriff was like a criminal, yeah, and yeah. he like helped. So I thought, like, oh, that's a nice... Because the film doesn't draw attention to that. So mm. It's like, oh, that's a nice detail. And yeah. it's sort of like, yeah, because of that, like, okay, you can keep that scene. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, it's more about fusing scenes, isn't it? Like, yeah, you could achieve a little bit of that scene with a little bit of that scene. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But I was thinking the same thing when I was watching it. Is, right, what do I cut? Yeah. Because the most obvious diversion is the Don Johnson stuff. But I love that stuff. It is, really. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, lo- I love I Don Johnson. And yeah. it's got that shot as well isn't it where it's like him in the blue against yeah. the and it's like yeah that's the, the shot yeah. Yeah. yeah also that quote yeah. as well <laughs> was that Django? that is Django okay Django good song Django well. oh yes it's me now sorry <laughs> I'm completely losing track of where we're at uh, my number six is Mad Max Fury Road um, it is the fourth installment in the Mad Max series, although it's basically got no connection no. to the Mad Max series. I haven't seen the others anyway. No. no. Um, just like people know the name Mad Max, you don't need to see any of the first three. Um, it's Good. not even the same actor playing Max. No, it's got um, Tom Hardy in it. It stars Tom Hardy as the titular Mad Max, and it's set in a post-apocalyptic um, landscape, which is brought about by an oil crisis, which leads to nuclear war. Yep. It's all just backstory, world-building stuff. And Max is sort of like captured by um, the servants of this tyrant known as Immortan Joe. And he has uh, an Imperator. I don't know what she, what like equivalent, but she's basically like, you know, one of his like trusted generals, I suppose. Yeah. And she is on a routine run to get supplies. She sort of goes off on her own path and it becomes clear that she is smuggled out uh, Immortan Joe's prize breeding women um, and the film is about them chasing down Furiosa Imperator Furiosa try and get the women back and Mad Max himself is kind of caught up in the middle of this um, it's it's a good film I recommend it it's a good film do you want to say more? No, I don't really know what to start with I don't really know what to start with Mad Max um, it's been described by many people as one long action sequence. Mm, yeah. I definitely see there are like you know there are quieter moments and there are a lot of loud moments and there are some quieter moments. But yeah, you kind of start with like an introductory action scene for Max. Then they kind of introduce like Joe and Furiosa and all these other characters, and then Furiosa kind of sets off on her journey. And then the film basically doesn't stop until the climax. It's just that one. It is literally just them chasing Furiosa for the entire film. And all of the people that have come along with her for the ride. I keep saying Furiosa because there is an argument to be made that she's sort of the main character of the film. Yeah, she is. is, Yeah. 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 Max is just kind of there. 
yeah. by design. You just connect the tissue, basically. Yeah, yeah. which um, so. was a complaint that when the film originally came out, but people who would know better than I have said that that's kind of what Mad Max films are anyway. Each yeah. shows up and things happen. Especially this one, it's very clearly a feminist tract. Yes. Not in an annoying way, I will say. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, it's a good example of um, feminism done right. Yeah. Because Furiosa is, she's not like, you know, there's no grandstanding. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing like that. Um, Charlie Theron is very good. She she's very, very good. good. Yeah, she plays Furiosa. She's fantastic. The um, right Tom Hardy. Mm. <laughs> you don't like Tom Hardy, do you? I don't. You liked Tom Hardy once. I did. I liked him a lot. And now you don't. You broke my heart. Explain. Um. Okay. So I, I like Tom Hardy. Uh, Bronson. He's amazing. That was yeah. a breakout role. Mm-hmm. Inception. That's great. Obviously. Uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which almost made my list. He's great in that. And then he did The Dark Knight Rises. And ever since then, he's pretty much exclusively played um, menacing, hulking, shithouses. mumbling shithouses. Mm. And like, just try something different. Yeah. Now, because it's kind of... It's a peaky blind... Okay, Legend is probably the... Kind of end point of this. Well, he thought he was doing that, didn't he? He could barely yeah. fucking speak properly. <laughs> he's doing that and then uh, I'll come here for a fucking gun or whatever it is but Peaky Blinders that's qu- now quintessential Hardy which is you get right up in your grill and be really fucking aggressive and then go really quiet because he's fucking unhinged yeah mm. that's what he does now okay and I wish he would stop it because <laughs> it's irritating just okay. do something different his best performance he's given is in Tinker Tail Soldier Spy where he just plays a bloke a vulnerable bloke Who's worried that um, the woman he's in love with has been killed? I say, That's if you're talking of films he's done since, Venom is. Oh, oh, Venom. Yeah. Venom. Oh, fucking Venom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, they're, yeah. Do, and they're doing another Venom. one. They're doing another one, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Revenant. We're going to soon. Yeah. Fucking Venom's built. Dude, it's okay to enunciate. Like, <laughs> mani- people who are menacing can enunciate. Yes. <laughs> I would say, he spent time, like, training, like, at proper english and yeah yeah now he doesn't speak though he's got a weird mongrel accent he does it's been ruined by international travel i think okay yeah it's it's sort of like it's sort of it's almost like london street at points it's it's really weird okay yeah so i'm not a major fan of hardy okay so yeah his reduction in fury road is just a positive to me okay well here's the thing uh his voice changes constantly throughout the film yeah and i don't know if this was an intentional choice or not because it changes so frequently there's a bunch of times in which it's very like he's speaking very gruffly uh. and he's doing like the typical Tom Hardy mumble and you can barely understand what he's saying. And then there are moments where he's like clearly enunciating and he's like trying to speak clearly. Yeah. There's even a moment, I noticed this, where I think it's like uh it's the moment before they go into the gorge where they meet like the motorcycle gang. Yeah. Um and he's like trying to file off the the cage that's like attached to his face and he sees what's going on. And he kind of leans across the Furiosa and he's like, nah, stay out of there. And it's weird. It's almost like... Banish those, almost. No, like, the thing that I keep thinking of is, like, Tom Hanks. Like, Forrest Gump Tom Hanks oh, okay. for some reason. All right. It's very weird. That is that... not what you just impersonated. No, I know it's not what I impersonated. <laughs> yeah, but it is that kind of, like, uh, yeah. It's weird. It's, okay. yeah, but, yeah, I always think of, like, Forrest Gump okay. Tom Hanks when I hear that delivery. It's the only time that in the film... Mom, I was said, mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, maybe, yeah, maybe not Forrest Gump. Maybe I'm just thinking Forrest Gump because Tom Hanks. Okay. But yeah, it had a bit of like a Tom Hanks vibe to it. it okay. Like, what? Why is that happening? And that's the thing. I don't know if 
that's just because Tom Hardy didn't really have anything to work with. Right. And also his... We'll get onto the sound design in a moment, but his voice is typically very, like... It doesn't sound like it even belongs in the environment that it's from. Right. That he's, like, occupying. And again, I don't know whether that's intentional or not. I don't know. I mean, wasn't the film shot over years? There is that as well. But you feel, I feel like your main character's voice is something that you would... I know. Make that. sure to get uh, right. You, Tom Hardy, we're talking here. Yeah. Voice-wise, is not always the most consistent. I mean, what is Bane's voice? Yes, that's true. Yeah. What is Bane's voice? What is it supposed to be? I don't know what it's supposed to be. Because that, kind of... that prison that he was like born in, quote-unquote, that's yeah. in like Morocco, isn't it? Yeah. It's in Morocco. He's obviously incredibly Caucasian. Mm. And it sort of becomes very push at points, doesn't it? Yeah. Very kind of clipped and pronounced. Yeah, I don't know. I suspect that George Miller was like, listen, you're basically monosyllabic. When you speak, it doesn't really matter. Oh, yeah, he's got barely yeah. any dialogue. Yeah. This isn't like, you know, there aren't long monologues in which he's suddenly switching between gruff and, you know. Yeah, there are no Mad Max soliloquies. No, exactly. There's very few. I think there's only like one or two like dedicated dialogue scenes in the film. Yeah. The rest of it is just kind of like things said amongst the action, yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah. And the action does do most of the talking. This is a film that was storyboarded before it was scripted mm -hmm. which is something I would not usually advocate no but I feel like in this instance it was absolutely the for an action go. movie yeah yeah, yeah absolutely. especially an 100%. action movie like this which is so I imagine the, it would have to be so intricate because even though the environment that they're surrounded by is very barren it's not yeah. like you have to worry about continuity when you're out in the middle of the desert you have all these like layers of like uh, cars and like towards the end that final action sequence where people are, like jumping between vehicles and that's something you really need to sit down and work out yeah yes and then the story is not complicated it's basically a fairy tale really it's like this yeah. the, the bad guy up on the mountain we go get away from the bad guy on the mountain yeah. and then we're gonna go back and stop the bad yeah, guy from getting to his kingdom well it's it reminds me of speed obviously just in the, in the way that it's it's vehicle based and, and very yes. quick yeah. but also the way the plot works it's dun 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 it's just into that, into that, into that, and yeah. just carries going. Yeah, Mad Max basically is they drive out to a certain point and then they drive back. Yeah, that's basically that yeah. is the film. That is the film. Yeah. Incredibly simple. Yeah. Um Yeah, they drive to a place, the place isn't what they expected it. Yeah. So They're like oh they drive back. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. That's it. <laughs> that is it, yeah. Yeah. I'd yeah. Like, I would say I'd like to touch on Nicholas Holt. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's very good in it. He's very good in it. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I feel like the film wouldn't work as well without him. He's sort of like an understated element of it. Because yeah. he sort of plays Watching a... him spray himself with silver shit or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then screaming for Valhalla. Yeah. yeah. Witness me! Witness me. It's man. great. I love the energy. He, he of the never film makes as well. it. <laughs> he, no. he literally like never makes it to Valhalla. Yeah. Yeah, he's like the, the runt of the litter, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he plays like a, a war boy, which are the followers of this immortal mm. show, who's uh, not doing too well. He's not in a good state. He needs, no. a, he needs a blood bag. Yes, Max is like, he has like, he's a universal donor and he's sort of attached to Nicholas Holt, which is how he gets roped into the action. They literally like tie him to the front of their vehicle. Yeah. Um, I like the lack of explanation for the universe. The things just exist. Yeah. It, again, it's like a comic book almost. Yeah. Like, obviously there's this utter fetishization of cars, yes. which makes sense in like, oh, you know, oil and diesel would be yeah. sparse. Yeah. I get that. But the whole, like, um, the guy who looks through the telescope, you know, the the deformed mic yeah. guy. And just all the, those massive women that are constantly, like, giving Yeah, milking, milking farms yeah. and stuff. Like, 
no the bullet farm there's no explanation for it no at all. i no. love that yeah well, it's just it's, it's just the it's universe. quite a good bit like particularly uh that that area is quite like steampunk and well interesting you bring that up oh there you go <laughs> this isn't quite a sam's lexicon i don't think okay um but i was trying good, to think because of... i don't have the keyboard with me <laughs> um i was trying to think of what is the aesthetic of this film it's not it's not quite steampunk because that's all victorian cogs yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it's not quite diesel punk and it's obviously not cyberpunk. So I've had to invent a word. Yeah. I'm calling it motorpunk. Motorpunk? Yeah. Which is all about cars and revving and, and yeah. steam and cogs, you know. Yeah. Not yeah. cogs, but motors. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And the smell of diesel and things being on fire. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it is a really great film. I, yeah. th- I think the only reason it kind of... Not the only reason, but one of the reasons it wouldn't made into into my list. It kind of like The Raid, where it's sort of like really enjoyable mm. but you don't really you don't take much from it i don't think oh no no it's a very um yeah uh, yeah yeah it's it is entertainment pure and simple. it is yeah. it is entertainment and it's perfectly made yes it's so well made yeah it's not just a good action film it's an outstanding oh yeah absolutely yeah. yeah it's definitely because it manages to tell its story through the action which I think is something a lot of action films fall down on is you could sort of like have bad action films will have like unmotivated action scenes or you'll just they'll be like you'll have like an action scene and then you have the bit where it's like okay we're talking now yeah now yeah. we're kind of waiting for the next action scene to start now the action scene is happening yes whereas with Mad Max you just don't have that they found a way of like weaving the and yes it's a very simple narrative so it probably wasn't hard to do yeah but yeah, they found a way of like weaving the narrative through uh, the action, so you don't, yeah. you're not going to get bogged down with exposition and stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah, there are like nice details about. I like the way that like the language has kind of subtly changed. Yeah, like they call gasoline gasoline, and he's called Immortal Joe when he's clearly supposed to be like a mortal Joe. Yeah, and that's obviously because that's just like a, a feature of their universe. It's not something they really discuss or bring up. Yeah. But I like that the film is like throwing in all these little details just to make it like that sort of like yeah it's kind of a and I I, I don't mean this in, in the derogatory sense at all it's very it has a very spastic uh, energy to it mm. yeah in which like oh the film just like grabs you by the lapels and just screams at you yeah for two yeah hours. but like the yeah. whole thing like guzzling it's very kind of like almost juvenile in a way not yeah. juvenile but like yeah I guess what's that is it Borderlands which I'm sure was inspired by Mad Max to some degree. But that kind of energy where it's just fucking bonkers. Maybe Borderlands does kind of do that. Yeah. Doom I was thinking of. Doom, Doom as well, the, yeah. The That's all revy Doom. and kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like Doom where they, um, one of the main instruments they use on the soundtrack is chainsaws. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that kind of like... Yeah. I'm looking forward to that because the, cause the, uh, the new game, uh, the composer, Mick Gordon, he put out a casting call for heavy metal screamers because apparently the new soundtrack is going to feature heavy metal orchestras. Or okay. instead of like choral voices, it's like metal screamers. Right. So I'm looking forward to okay. that. Okay. I want to see how that happens. Okay. Like, pulls that off. You can't not talk about the guitarist. No, that's one of my notes. Is yeah. I fucking hate the guitarist. Do you <laughs> I love the detail. Who I think is the composer. I think that's oh, Jackie okay. XL. Yeah. Right. No, I love that idea. Yeah. And he's like the their war band. Yeah. But I fucking hate him. Just <laughs> always just like they're just doing his thing. Like, oh, oh, die, die, die. <laughs> and he doesn't get, as I remember. A particularly satisfying death. Um, Doesn't he just get caught up in like a collision or something? Yeah, you don't yeah. see him die, but his oh, death I is so inside. need to see him die. Yeah, yeah, I fucking yeah, because you see the guitar. Yeah, yeah, of like sort that. of like come towards the screen. Yeah. Oh, I hate him. 
Or just it's <laughs> fucking twisting his head and play. Is it a bass or is it an actual guitar? No, I think it's a guitar. It's a guitar. guitar. Yeah. Oh, I buy it. Flamethrower guitar. Flame. <laughs> <laughs> just shooting out the. Oh, oh it's great. Do, do you, you like him? Do you? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> do you like him? I, I, he does annoy me. Yeah. But I do. It's it's kind of cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, that's I, cool. I, I yeah, yeah, I love the idea of it. That he's got like you know he's an intimidation tactic on yeah. Joe's part, but yeah. <laughs> he's just like they've got a whole like huge rig dedicated to like these drummers and a guitarist yeah. just to like scare off the yeah, yeah. enemy. Well, I mean, as far as I was concerned, he was the main villain of the film. <laughs> I <thought> they'd <laughs> kill off a Morton Joe quite quickly. Yeah, and he'd become the. Uh, I yeah, terrorist. I don't love him. Yeah, I like that he's there. I think he's a good inclusion. Yeah, and, and he's he's he's, a, he's he's one of the more like some of the more memorable iconography. He's of the one film. of the icons of the film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I'm surprised you you hate him so much. Oh, I hate him. I don't see how you could react so negatively to it. Just the way he moves. Okay. It's it's like too much. I know it's a, like I said, it's a very amped up, pumped up film. Yeah. But just like the, the way it's the spasmodic way that he's throwing his head about. <laughs> And just like yeah, fuck, it's a it's obnoxious, you know. Okay, I know again. It's, well, it kind it's of supposed to be. I know it's an obnoxious film, and it's not like in in, a, in the best way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I just I really wish that someone would just cut his head off with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, and it ends with a quote, which like no, it ends with a quote from the universe of the film. Oh, I does believe. it? Yeah, it's not even a real quote. I think it's it starts with where must we go? That's all I know. Yeah, where we must be. Oh, I can't remember what it is, but the. Credit is the first history man, right? Which is, uh, I don't know whether they are playing on an actual quote or not, whether right. it's like a misquote of an existing quote. Okay. But the first history man is obviously like an in-universe. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure it is. I just thought it was a quote. In which case, uh, I forgive it a bit more. But like, you don't need to end Mad Max with a quote. Yeah, that felt strange. Yeah. Definitely. I don't know what that was about. Yeah. Whether that was you were supposed to come out of it with like feeling like you've got more out of it than you have. Yeah. But it's like, it's okay, Mad Max. It's okay just to be, like, a thrilling, entertaining romp and that sort of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because um, when I think of this film, I think of the filmmaking. I don't think of the story or anything right. like that. Yeah, the sound design. Um, it's a very furious, if you will, like, sound design. It's, you know, it is kind of, like, car revving and, like, very loud and brash. And mm-hmm. But there are some moments where I feel like it, it doesn't, like... I don't know if it's bad sound design or whether it's just like something that was lost in translation. Okay. The first couple of times Furiosa speaks, she's very clearly ADR'd. And like the first few times that Max speaks, he's very clearly ADR'd. And I don't quite know why. Because like Furiosa, yeah. presumably the reason you would ADR her is because she's inside the truck and it's really loud. But mm. then again, most of the film takes place inside the truck. And also, yeah. the first time you hear Max on the car, you can barely hear him over the car. Yeah. So I don't know why. Yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know, honestly. Hmm. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm keyed into those things to a certain degree. You more so because you are an editor. Hmm. I'm more of a writer, so I tend to look at films from a script perspective. Yes. Yeah. Unless it's a raid or, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, don't, I try and sort of zero those things out in a way. But I know what you mean. There are moments where it does feel arch. I'm putting that down to just not reshoots, but th- like how difficult that shoot was, and yeah, you know. And I imagine um, that sounds for the f- the the audio for the film was probably built entirely from scratch. Oh yeah, there's a moment where the truck is on fire, and like Furiosa drops the um, it wouldn't be a snowplow, but like a sandplow, I suppose, right. into the sand, and that sort of shoots sand over the engine, 
and then it zooms in on the engine and the engine like opens up and it sounds like someone breathing right so the sound design there's moments like that where it's sort of like stylized i don't know how else to describe it where it's not it's clearly not the native there's sound there's an artifice to it yes yeah. and there's a lot of that and that definitely helps tell the story i think the sound design is sort of like an unsung hero of this film yeah despite the criticisms i've just made did it win um, the oscar i think it did okay. it won i think it won most of the technical oscars yeah. the year that it was out yeah which not yeah. cinematography no um what did win the revenant which is cheating yeah uh, mad max would be as well a little bit to be fair but not nearly as much. No, it wouldn't be. Yeah. No. Um, my one more point. Um, there's very obviously day for night in this film. Right. Now, I'm not like a huge... I can put up with day for night for the most part. It is distracting if you're like in this environment that's very clearly supposed to be like dark. Mm-hmm. And you see like clear shadows where the sun is and everything. Yeah. Um, you talk about the scene where they've got to pull over. There's two scenes, but yeah, yeah there's the scene yeah. on the marsh where they have to pull over. And Max goes off to... And Max yeah. goes off to uh, sort out the head of the bullet farm. I know what you mean. And then there's yeah. like a scene later on where they're kind of like, you know, they found what... They found the place they've been going towards, but as you said, Eddie, it turns out to not be what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, and they have another scene at night. And again, you can just see like the shadows are too harsh and the... The reflection in the puddles are too clear. You're right. Pitch black. I, thinking back on it, yes, those scenes have always seemed off to me. Yes. And now I know why. Yeah. Because yeah. in like, the day, because it's a very saturated film as well. I think is. George Miller said in an interview with post-apocalyptic films, there's two ways you can go. You can just boost the colours. Yeah. So everything is really bright and colourful. Or you do it in black and white. You just yeah. drain all the colour out of it. And there is a black and white version available, right? There is a black and white version, which I haven't seen. Yeah. I... I can't imagine I would prefer this film in black and white. Oh no! I think the color really adds something to it, especially mm. with like the, the 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 variety of like yeah, yeah. what's on display. And it wasn't designed in black and white. No, it wasn't no. designed in black so, and white. You know. Yeah, no, but because it, it, I would say it's in that sort of vein. So for me, I, my favorite films, it's Wonderful Life, and they did a color version of they, yeah. you know, colorized that. I can't stand watching it in colour. No, it's bastardised. <laughs> it wasn't designed as a no, colour No, film. Yeah. absolutely can't stand it's it. It's like yeah. watching a bad English dub of a foreign film, isn't it? It's like, this yeah. is just off. This isn't right. Yeah, and uh, ret- ret- Retrospective 3D. Yes, yeah, yeah that's, that's also not, a big thing. not good. Yeah. Um, so, um, just I, I looked up the awards that it won at the Oscars. Oh, yeah? Uh, best sound mixing, best sound editing... Best makeup and hairstyling, best costume design, best production design, and best film editing. Okay, all right, deserves all those. It, yeah, it didn't absolutely. win visual effects. It didn't win cinematography, director, um, or picture. Okay, yeah, visual effects. I don't know what was up. What was up for visual effects that year? Uh, Twenty fifteen. It lost to Ex Machina. Yeah, oh, all right. Okay. Yeah, it, it was no, up against enough. The Force yeah. Awakens, The Revenant, The Martian, Mad Max, and Ex Machina. No, Ex Machina yeah. deserved it. Fair enough. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, the day for night stuff. To return to it very briefly, the thing, like I said, okay, fine, fair enough. That's the workaround. That's the compromise you've made. Yeah. So you've clearly filmed this because you're out in the desert. There's no natural light anywhere. Yeah. You couldn't film it at night, even if you tried. Fucking freezing. And that as yeah. well. And they were in like a swampland as well, so the actors, it just wouldn't have been yeah. healthy for them to yeah. film in that environment. Yeah. However, there's a scene earlier in the film where they're in the middle of a sandstorm, uh-huh. and inside the sandstorm, there's a lightning. Now. Obviously, uh, lightning strikes are blinding, whether you're looking at them with your own eyes or whether you're looking at them through a camera. They just blow out the sensors yeah. on the lenses. 
in a film as frantic as Mad Max, having like these flashes of white would just be way too distracting and it yeah. would just like, you know, it would set mm. off seizures and all that sort of stuff. So what they do, what I noticed that they, yeah, because Eddie put his hand up then because you... You're Isn't around. that the most h- hardcore thing, though? <laughs> we give our audience seizures. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would not recommend them at all. No. Um, but yeah, when they're in the middle of the sandstorm, instead of making the image go white when the lightning strikes happen, they make the image go black and white. Right. So it sort of mimics, it's sort of in time with the lightning strikes and kind of mimics the effect of a lightning strike without you kind of losing any of the image you're it because you can still see what's happening you can keep the pace of the scene and i that's a really clever workaround mm-hmm. uh for a practical problem which makes the obvious <laughs> day for night all the more disappointing i think yeah you know i don't know whether they mm. could um sort of pull like a skyfall where you sort of like find a way of incorporating things that would create natural light into the scene whether it's like a fire or whether there's like lights on the wall rig or anything like that yeah or whether do it almost like in night vision. I don't know what you yeah, would do there, to work there's around. There's a way of doing it. Yeah, I'm sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, moonlight for one. Yes, which they do. Gear up, you know, yeah, they yeah. um, they kind of uh, rotoscope the moon into yeah. the scene, so it's clearly supposed to be moonlight. But it's. I mean, we live in the South Wales Valleys. I've been on top of mountains in the pitch black when it's just the moon in the sky. Yeah, it's nowhere near as bright oh, as no, the no, film. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of looks twilighty in the film. It's supposed to be night, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. almost yeah. like evening time. Like it's yeah. getting dark. Yeah, yeah. They just turned the brightness down and like made the image blue. Yeah. It's, it's clearly still the yeah. daytime, you know. Yeah. But other than that, solid film. Definitely recommend. But you, you found a critique. That's good. I did. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay, my number six is Whiplash. Which we can't talk about yet. Oh, we can't, cannot can't talk, talk about, about yet. Well, I am having an easy time with this. So my number five is Nightcrawler. Okay. okay. Which was my number seven. Yes. Yes. Uh, so Nightcrawler... My number 12. Or 13. <laughs> okay. I couldn't even say the word Nightcrawler. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. my, ni- my Nightcrawler. Um, <laughs> my... Uh, yeah, so Nightcrawler... I don't know, I forgot. You told me his name because I couldn't remember it. Lou Bloom is the Lou Bloom. Name, yeah. yeah, so... Lou uh, Bloom, J- who plays Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> yeah, he plays Jake... Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal uh, plays Lou Bloom, who... He he's, kind of, he's a he's, chancer, isn't yeah, he? He's kind of between jobs. Yeah. Um, but essentially, uh, yeah, he's a chancer and he decides... He witnesses um, someone involved in video news mm-hmm. and decides to basically get involved uh, get involved because a nightcrawler is someone who shoots footage and then sells it to the early morning yeah, news Yeah, you yeah, tend to they, find that they like uh, roam the streets at night, hence nightcrawler, recording like accidents or various crimes taking place and then they sell them to yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and news stations they sort of the race footage. each other yeah. yeah they race each other to get to the scenes of like accidents and murders yeah because obviously you want the best footage yeah usually they've got police scanners and yeah, yeah. and they they generally kind of um to that they kind of occupy a strata on the underbelly of society like they kind of mm-hmm. they're obviously not very rich but they're sort of like considered annoying pests by most yes. of the people they encounter. Well, yeah, because they hate them. Yeah, yeah, they're sort yeah. of poking in on like fresh crime scenes, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, and they're vultures. That's what they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the the better the footage, the more money you can make from it. Yeah, and also yeah. the more um, what's the word? What's the the, the, the newsy word? 
I'll think of it. Carry on. Oh, he's the most up close and personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically, yeah. He so he, he ventures into sort of this industry, ends up um, overtaking uh, his main comp- competitor. He sort of sets up an accident for him. Yes. Um, and then he, you know, but it, it sort of follows him going through different crime scenes, which in, involves him getting his own assistant killed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the other he thing. He doesn't as well, think his is, assistant is committed enough. Yeah, as the film goes on, he starts to take extreme measures to get the best footage possible. Yes, the most sensational. Sensational, yeah, that's yeah. the word. Yes, so um, he sort of starts to manipulate crime scenes to make it look more sensationalized yeah. than the crime actually was. Yes, uh, a particular example is there's a home, in, home invasion. Mm hmm. Uh, he witnesses the rob the, the people leave and then cuts that out of his footage. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, and- sort of withholds it so that he can like, um, if they perform future crimes, he's sort of like got recurring business, isn't he? Yeah, yes. which does happen which and does involves happen. Uh, a shootout. Yeah. Um, in a cafe, is it a coffee shop? Yeah, yeah, diner. Yeah, yeah, yeah diner. diner. Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, it's a, yeah, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. I can never remember the actor's name for the assistant. Rizal uh, Ahmed. Yeah. Ahmed. Yeah. His uh, first big American role, I think. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's a moment I just want to bring up briefly because it's not really a thing with the film, but there's a moment in the trailer because when he withholds that footage, that's kind of the moment where the police start showing an interest in him. Yeah. And there's a moment in the trailer where he's in an interview room with a police officer slash detective, whatever. Um, and she's like, I think you withheld information and sort of like deflecting the question, Jake Gyllenhaal goes, um, that would be criminal. And she goes, it would be murder. And there's a moment in the trailer where the music goes, doo-doo, like after right. the... Okay. <laughs> and it's okay. not kind of, like, the film isn't like that at all. But no. it always makes no, me laugh no, no, no. when I see that beat in the trailer. Because it just cuts back to his face and he's just kind of, like, listening intently mm. as the music goes, doo-doo. In fact, considering this is a, you know, these are spoiler discussions, yeah. isn't that the penultimate scene, basically? It's basically the end of the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. the thing is, the police are not really... A feature of the film. No, it's, they it's maybe one yeah. or, twi- once or twice. It's not a case of there's this villainous guy going about his business and then the police slowly cotton on, yeah, and then pursue him. It's not that at all. It's kind no. of like Wolf of Wall Street in that regard, where the sort of the police slash law mm. people that are kind of after them, they show up at kind of like every now and again, yeah, maybe only like once or twice during the film. Uh, so that's because, that's, it's, because it's very much from his perspective, isn't it? Yes. The film is from the yeah. perspective of Lou Blue, it, who's this very strange character isn't he it, it, it's, it's he is very he lo- he, like he lost weight for the role and everything well Gyllenhaal's Hall's yeah. always been one of those he's like Christian Bale in that sense oh yeah, the yeah, yeah. he'll just like change he's very everything about him I think he's um, I think what uh, the original I'm not sure whether it was the original title but it was definitely one of the titles was Coyote I think okay and so he tried to physically embody yes. a yeah, Coyote yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. to the point where like he made himself hungry yes oh, you know, right. it's that he whole can... method acting thing yeah, being yeah, on yeah. set he was physically hungry, and and he hoped that would kind of come across in the character's hunger for fame yes. and well, money. Well, well, it does. He looks grotty. Quite yeah, he looks yeah, horrible. Because JJ has quite big eyes anyway. Yeah. And so when he has a very hollow, shallow yeah. face, the eyes. Yes, because you can literally, his, yeah. you can basically see bone. You can. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and he's sort of <laughs> all eyes and no bone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, he's like deliberately bug-eyed as well. Does yeah. he blink throughout the entire film? There's not much if he does. Yeah, yeah. He's very, he's a very yeah, intense. That would, guy. that would that would be intentional, though. Obviously. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's it's one of those performances where you can tell like every minute detail of the character is intended. Yeah. Yes. It's one of the best performances of the decade. Yeah. I would say, uh, John Hall is one of the finest actors of the decade. Absolutely. Um, it's it's very Taxi Driver. Isn't it? Mm. I would say. Yeah, it's very. It's a comparison I heard a lot when the film yeah. came out. Yeah, he yeah. was kind of like the modern day Travis Bickle in yeah. a sense. Yeah. Yes. Um, so why is it one of the best of the decade? Like my general thing usually is 
there was something about it. Things like it's it's kind of a, it's like an action. It's it's action. It's like a thriller. It's kind of grotty. Mm-hmm. It's set in Los Angeles, but it yeah. doesn't like um, no it like Los Angeles yeah. really. It's not a, it's not a flattering portrayal of Los Angeles, is it? But it's not in the same way. It's not like Under the Silver Lake, where it's actively like pulling away the veneer of Los Angeles. It's just no. a kind of like this is kind of the side of Los Angeles you don't usually see. But it doesn't seem to be too judgmental. Well, it's it's about characters who uh, exist at night, you know, who prowl. And I think um, there's a kind of running theme of that in a sense where also you've got all these night crawlers that are sort of familiar with each other. This little network of competitors. Yeah. But also Riz Ahmed, who is uh, plays Rick, who Jermall takes on as his assistant. Who's literally just looking for a job and he's doing money. But he's a, um, isn't it? I'm not sure whether it's said outright, but it's implied that he's a um, gigolo. Oh, I, okay. Oh. I'm, I, I could be completely misconstruing that, but my impression was that he's like, he's been turning tricks, basically. Oh, right. Okay. Before that. And he definitely comes across like he's not I don't educated. Know. I, I got the impression that he was just kind of a naive, like he, he'd mo- he just moved out there and he was just looking for anything he could get. Yeah, yeah. A, a guy who just moved out there, didn't really know what he was looking for. Yeah. And had to resort to. I, oh, okay. Basically, I think he's a, tw- a twink. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, if that is the case, I don't. But this thing, I don't know whether I've just attached that to it or whether that is kind I mean, of suggested. I mean, if you, ha- I, I, I didn't know that, so yeah. I don't know. It but feels that, a weird I, thing for me to have made up if it isn't. But yes. it, I mean, it would certainly be an interesting spin on the character anyway. If yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. he again, he's not educated as he's quite. Um, he's not very well spoken. No, no, no. Uh, Lou just takes him on because he's probably the only guy that applied for the job. Probably, and also you get the sense that. Rizal is probably going to be easy to manipulate. Yeah. yeah. Because it, that's sort of the point in the film where uh, Lou Bloom is starting to take drastic action. Yes. To get ahead of the competition. And the moment that he gets a backbone, that's basically when Jermall decides, well, you're going to die then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite, it's, it's quite a horrible, like, death, really. Because it, oh, yeah. it, it literally, it's like, he goes up to the car, which is supposed to have uh, one of the gunmen in it. He's like, oh, he's dead. Yeah. Mm. And then he moves away has his camera out and then Riz Ahmed approaches gets shot yeah and he just kind of watches him die well he records it doesn't he yeah he records him watch it but it's the the way he just watches him recording yeah you're just another one oh yeah yeah, the the character the character is a sociopath yeah yeah he's not a psychopath no no he's a I would say he's a sociopath I mean he gets angry yeah but he doesn't he doesn't give the you know Suggestion that he feels all that much. No, no, yeah. Uh, he's very manipulative. How would you describe yeah. the way he speaks? Because he seems to have a very specific matter-of-factly. Of... Yeah, yeah, but also he seems to speak almost in like uh, corporatisms. Corporatisms. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everything is sort of like he's uh, in a business meeting. Yeah, everything he's doing, it's like a transaction. Is yeah, everything's place. a negotiation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a detail that I like a lot. Yeah, the, the fact that he, he's trying to kind of. Well, he's trying to speak above his pay grade, isn't he? He's yes. trying to talk himself into these situations and these jobs. Um, yeah. And I like how kind of... he. I think he's in one of the first scenes he's in, he, he addresses himself. He, he says, oh, I was raised as part of the self-esteem generation that was taught that X, Y, Z. Yeah. And the very kind of uh, objective way he speaks about himself kind of uh, betrays how impersonal he is and cold, yes. you know? yeah. He's not a person. He's just like ambition that has a body. Yes. You know? Yeah. Because that's what he is. He's yeah. pure, pure unbridled ambition. Yeah. It? He's yeah. kind of like uh, a stand-in for... Because the film is about basically the 
um, starting your own business and sort of succeeding. It is. At starting your own business. Yeah. And he kind of like, despite the fact that he's a character that we're not like, as he goes on, we do things that we, de- he does things we definitely don't agree with. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I would say, is he an anti-hero? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't even... I'd say he's a villain. I'd say it's a villain story. I, mm. I don't... I. He has nothing redeeming about him. But you don't... There's no point in the film where you're kind of... Uh, for me, at least. It might be different yeah. for you guys. There was no point in the film where I felt like, okay, I'm actively rooting for you to fail now. No. I recognise that you should be stopped, but I don't want you to fail, you know? He's interesting is the thing, isn't he? He's yeah. in, it's not, you know, it's not um, a villain origin thing like the, like Joker is, for instance. No, no. Um, even th- There's a lot to compare the two, I think. They're mm. both inspired by Taxi Driver, but, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, no, I think it's... I, I don't know. It, it's sort of like, you know, it's kind of like a dark American dream story, isn't it? An American yeah. nightmare, almost. Mm. Um... I think in an interview... Is it Dan Gilroy, the writer-director? Yeah. I think he said in an interview, to him, the Nightcrawler is a story about success. It's a success story. Right. Essentially. Because he successfully starts his own business, and that is the American dream. Yeah. You start with nothing. And at the beginning, he's, like, stealing materials and selling them to a junkyard. He's genuinely yeah. got, like, nothing going yeah, for yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and by the end, he has his own... Um, he has, like, a contract with his news network, and he has his own, like, business, essentially. Yeah, but by the end of it, he's, you know... He's a chancellor. He pinches other people's ideas. Like, so it's yeah. the character played by Bill Paxton mm-hmm. uh, is like, oh, we're going to have two vans, two different locations. By the end of it, he's got, is it two or three vans? Or he's, he's, no, yeah. I think he's got two vans. Yeah, yeah. he's got yeah, two vans. Same as Bill Paxton. You know, he's taken basically that idea because he's recognised it was a good idea. Yeah. He's yes. killed the competition. <laughs> yes, literally. Um, yeah. Quite literally. Yeah. Um, you know, because the news, there's a story where the police want what he's sold to the news network. And the news that network basically go, no, we're running this because by this point he's got the lead yeah. uh, anchor woman. I can't, I don't know her name. I was, right, was, was going to bring her up because she's an interesting case study as well, isn't she? Yeah. Because she sort of becomes the main romantic interest of the film. Almost. If you like. Yeah, if you well, like. It's, a, it's a weird thing because at the start of it, she's seen, she, you know, she's the head. Well, it's, mm. a, it's a failing network, isn't it? It is. She's the head it of is, a failing yeah. network, but she seems she still seems quite headstrong. And then yeah. she meets Lou Bloom and is immediately manipulated. Well, yeah. I, I think it's a case of she's under uh, pressure and yeah. she has to and see to his that. demands. Yeah, yeah. Because but that's yeah, the best but, scene of the film. By I the way, say, that that the point at the 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 end where he goes, "You want this? This is what I want." Yeah. And at that point, he basically goes, "What happened in your apartment? Yeah, that's happening again." You know, lines like that are what elevate it for me, alluding to this stuff that's happening off screen. Yeah. I would say I, th- I, yeah, because you don't see certain things outside no. of the context of work. They they go to din they go to dinner together once, and that's all we see. Where he basically else. says to her, "You're gonna start sleeping with me, or I'm not gonna." Yeah, yeah. Give you yeah, and anymore. then through like offhanded lines like that, you see this kind of like what exactly is happening between them. Yeah, in, yeah. in the, the yeah. sort of like in the gaps between the scenes that we're seeing. Yeah. Well, in terms of script, I was gonna say that's for me. That's one of. The reasons why it's up there, I think, is a very well written. It's script. a fantastic script. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, and it does that kind of. It is a showy performance, not distractingly showy, and it's not over the top at all. No. But is it show? The thing I like about it is, you know, we've complained a lot about Joker and how it's like crazy, man. You know. Mm. But they do it right in this. Where in Joker, you've got scenes where he's at the comedy club, and he's laughing at the wrong moments, and it's kind of over the top and. In this, you've got things like where he's monologuing. Yeah. She's giving no suggestion that she's going to interrupt him. Yeah. And then he takes a long silence and he goes, I'm not finished. And then carries on speaking. It's like, 
he's just living in a whole different yeah yeah he's, reality. he's on his whole other level yeah. he's clearly written out that script yeah he's that clearly, he's going to deliver to her yeah anticipating that she's going to like try and butt in so I'll, I'll deliver it as red yeah because he's a robot he's yeah, not yeah. you know yeah and it's a it's another I mean it's it's like Mike, Michael Keaton has a lot of lines in Birdman mm. for example. This is another, you know, J.J. Lovett's has a lot of lines. I think he's in, like, every frame of the film, Pretty basically. Much. Yeah. yeah, he is. Which is part of the appeal of it as well. It's just yeah. that you never... Because I, I imagine, like, if you spent any time away from him, you'd probably start to realise, oh, this guy's, like... We shouldn't be rooting for this guy. No. You kind of, you kind of arrive at that later in the film he, anyway. He's, but... he's relentless. Yeah. He is relentless. And the story in that way is unrelenting. It doesn't give you that break. No. No, uh, thinking about it, like, if he was inclined slightly differently i mean he he could be a serial killer right and i think i'm thinking I mean, about because <laughs> well you'd think, he, he yeah. killed he basically gets one guy killed yeah he's sensible enough not to do it himself he could you know he does but he sort of does it in the in a daniel Plainview way doesn't he where it's like oh just competitors must be destroyed kind yes. of way yeah um though there is an ego thing clearly when he, his ego is threatened he kind of he goes a bit nuts yeah um but like when he starts, when he sells his first bit of footage to the news, mm. and then he catalogs it on his laptop, and then whatever story, whatever headline he manages to get, he catalogs them like trophies, like a killer would. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And there's is it a montage where it's like, ah, oh, you know, he he's becoming successful, and it's showing all of his the yeah, list yeah, of all yeah, these yeah. things, and there's something like baby shot or something like that. Yeah. And you, yeah, something like one of the headlines is "baby shot in face" or something oh, like right, that. Okay. And you're like, "Oh Jesus!" Yeah. But because it's it's set to like this dun 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 like fast paced music, yeah. like, um, oh, you know, he's getting places now. You sort of ignore it. Yeah. But yeah. when on the rewatch, it's, it's like, oh, it's shit. a more of an. It, it, at points, it has a more of an upbeat like score to like counteract the darkness. Yeah, it's of what's al- going it's on. almost. Um, I think at, at the very end when you know his masterpiece is revealed. Yeah. They play like almost melodramatic romantic music yeah mm. like dreamy like ah oh, he's achieved his dream sort of thing yes yeah which i've heard as a cri- criticism but i think it's definitely to stand in opposition to what's happening probably yeah, yeah. on screen you know yeah yeah it's, it's interesting though as well because um this world of night crawling that he's now kind of like integrating himself into that existed before him like it's not just yeah. that this character is vile the world that he's occupying is vile yeah it's almost because he kind of he does he's just kind of driving down the road and he just happens upon bill paxton nightcrawling yeah it you know it's just kind of like he was i think i saw like a, a video essay on it a while ago where it's like he basically was just like lucky he found the world that like he yeah well, he's he a ch- was he is a chancer and just gets that luck yeah he kind of found the thing that in a way he was supposed to be a part of you know see it's, that, that's interesting because i would say if he'd been driving down the highway and there'd been another thing at the side of the road he would have latched onto that. He seems like someone who just will find something. No, no, absolutely. And exhaust I mean, it. Yeah, I think know. that's the implication that the beginning of the film wants to give is that he's be, just been jumping from, yeah. um, you know, thing to thing. Mm-hmm. But night crawling is the one thing that's kind of stuck because, yeah. as disgusting as his attitude can be, it's kind of perfectly suited to that really gnarly world. And yeah, like you're talking world as well. It's like that world that you know. It's sort of in the same vein as paparazzi's, basically. Oh yeah, definitely. Um and. Not paparazzi's, papar- the paparazzi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um... Paparazzi. <sighs> yeah, and it's kind of, you know, you're already dealing with people who have very few moral scruples. Yeah. And then they bring in this guy who's like, oh, you think you have low standards? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let me drag yeah. that into the mug. Yeah, muck. 
Yeah. But, but yeah, um, as a film, certainly the script is a highlight. Um, Which begs the question, what happened to him after that? He definitely just got grottier. I think he he, he became... Um, he's become a millionaire. Right. I think he'll go on to become a millionaire. Oh, no, no, I meant the writer. I meant Dan Gilroy. Oh, I see. Like, okay. what happened to Dan Gilroy after Nightcrawler, you know? Well, he had that in him, didn't he? Yeah. He clearly had that in him. I, remember... he, yeah, I would say, wasn't he writing it for a while, though? Yeah, that's. I think he co-wrote The Bourne Legacy mm. with his brother. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then he did Nightcrawler. Like, da- Dan Gilgory, what are you doing, man? Was Velvet Buzzsaw a thing he did after Nightcrawler? Like, no, I think, wasn't it? Um... No, it was uh, Roman J's, Roman J's which is okay. Yeah. But no, okay. you've got Nightcrawler, which is great. You've yeah. got that, which is whatever. Yeah. And then you've got Velvet Buzzsaw. Which isn't good. Which is, yeah, a yeah. hell of a decline. It, it, he clearly had one... Just think, some of the ideas... I don't want to veer off topic too much, but some of the ideas in Velvet Buzzsaw, I think, oh, like, on the page, this is good. I can see why he thought this was good on the page. Yeah. But in execution, not so much. I don't... Okay. I don't know what ideas you could possibly be referring to with that. Well, the, the idea that art has a legacy, and what if that legacy was kind of um, physicalized? Okay. Again... It, Intellectually, it's yes. kind of sound. Yeah. But it's when you actually start imposing a physical framework on that. Yes. It just completely falls Especially apart. since, and yeah, this is gonna, this is not going to become a review of Velvet Buzz. So no. But yeah, the execution just—it's just a complete misfire, I think. Yeah. But, but I, I will. You, you dislike it a lot more than I do. I mm. think it's an admirable misfire because okay. I think it, it was coming from the right place. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. But given its pedigree, in the sense that you know this yeah. guy wrote Nightcrawler, yeah. and given what the film became. In a way, it's almost just like what it, something terrible must have happened here yeah. for the script to, you know, well, fail as much as it has. Well, I, I was going to say the the thing with Nightcrawler is the amount of time that was spent on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't seen Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah, you don't. But <laughs> no, no. But what my my point being is, imagine the amount of time he spent on Nightcrawler. Imagine he spent that amount of time on Velvet Buzzsaw. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm sure after Nightcrawler there was a lot of well, not. Pressure, I'm sure, but also right. You made Nightcrawler. You got an Academy Award nomination. How much money do you want for your next film? Yeah, yeah. here you go. And it's like, oh, I got this script in the draw that yes. I, I wrote yeah, ten yeah. years ago. Yeah. It's yeah, let's fuck it, let's do this. I get Jill all back. You know, it seems like that kind of thing. Um, it's the, the the difficult second album, isn't it? I mean, he mm. he had that first album in him for a long for his life. Mm. Yeah, and then the next album had to just be an idea he had in the intervening year, which yeah. means hopefully, album number three. Yeah, maybe he'll be a technically four, four because we're yeah, missing. Yeah. yeah, we're missing. Escort we're missing again. a mediocre film. Yeah, yeah. but um, uh, but yeah. yeah. So yeah, the script. I think the fact that it is sort of unrelenting and the character. Yeah, you know, I th- certainly the performance from Jalen Hall. Yeah. yeah, you watch those... it for, for its script and its main performance. Although there are good su- uh, performances supporting it as well. If you uh, yeah, if you've ever seen Dan Gilroy as well, it's kind of opposite. That it's a film about a vulture essentially. Yeah, and he looks like a vampire. Oh, okay. If, uh, Google image Dan Gilroy. I think he looks like <laughs> like an old, not even like a new vampire, like an like old, a Nosferatu, a Nosferatu type right. vampire. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like the sound of that. He's so. one of the yeah. originals, you know. Yeah. Fair. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, it's a, it, one of the things. I don't know if I really touched on this when we were talking about uh, the, like ten through six, but one of the things with my list was rewatchability was a big thing. Right. Yeah. And Nightcrawler is certainly a film I could, I could watch at any time. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's it's weird. Like. Um, when we started doing this, there were a couple of films that I just added without thinking. So it's like, well, obviously that film is going to be on that list. And Nightcrawler was one of them. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't a qu- The only question was, where is it going to rank as opposed to, is it even going to be included? Nightcrawler was 
one of the ones I had to rewatch. I would have had to rewatch anyway to, to see if that was going to make my list. You know, yeah. It was it was like one of the four vying for nine and ten sort of positions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it ticks a lot of my personal boxes. I love nocturnal LA movies. Yes. I love psychodramas. I was going to say the cinematography I don't think is a standout for Nightcrawler. No. Just in terms of like the, the, the filmmaking the, of it. Who did the cinematography? I don't even know who did the cinematography. Okay. I don't think it's a famous... I think his brother edited it. Okay. Apologies to the cinematographer if you are famous. But I don't think it's a famous cinematographer. <laughs> Basically, but... George saying you did a shit job. No, no, but that's the thing. <laughs> You're filming at night in LA. You don't need to... No. Put in a good job to no, make I, that film. I, I mean, I was going to say, as amateur filmmakers, filming at night is not the easiest thing at times. No, it's no, not. It's no. Not. <laughs> yeah, if you have the equipment, yeah. then shooting at night, you don't even need to be good. You know, it's just going to, it's like filming at a beach, it's just going to look good. Or you could you B-Tech know? film with a torch light on your phone. <laughs> uh, I think one of the strengths of the film is that the cops in it feel like real cops. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel like actors playing cops. They, no. they seem like genuine... I wouldn't be surprised if they were caught. I was about to say, yeah. they, they play such small parts, I wonder yeah. if they just genuinely got yeah. officers or like I've never looked that up, actually. Yeah. So but that... they really feel like, yeah. you know, yeah. they talk like you like how you'd expect them but, to. But yeah. I was going to say, but it, it could be... You get TV actors who have played cops for years. Yeah. That by, by the end of it, they you get the impression they could be cops in real life. So, yeah. so you could find that it's someone who was a cop on a TV show for 10 years. Yeah, or just, you know... It, it, <sighs> They they cast unknowns because that they would look more like cops, you know. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's not blah blah in a cop uniform. That's yeah, just it's, a cop. it's a cop. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it's about filmmaking as well, Nightcrawler. Mm. It's a film about filmmaking. In what sense? Well, it's about voyeurism. Okay. It's about the idea of um, obviously what he's doing appeals to a certain demographic of the public, which enjoy sensationalism and. Ooh, blood creeps into the suburbs. Yeah, yeah. What's the line from the the woman? I don't, I don't remember her name, but the woman that he's kind of working with at the news network. <laughs> I just no, I just love the fact that throughout this, throughout the last episode mm. as well, the amount of characters' names I think we forgot <laughs> as a collective is. Quite... I can't remember a character name. Though. Yeah, but she, but she says something she's like... married to Dan Gilroy though. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, she says something like the ideal video for us for our news network is like a. A woman running through a neighborhood with her throat slit. Yeah, yeah. Running through like a well-to-do yeah, yeah. suburban neighborhood. A white woman running through that neighborhood with her throat slit. Yeah, that's the kind of thing we want. <laughs> and Lou and um, uh, Lou Bloom's response is, "You will be seeing me again." <laughs> As if like <laughs> I know exactly what. It's yeah, do. and it's yeah. kind of so that on a literal level, it's about those things. Mm-hmm. But then when you extrapolate that to the film, we are being voyeurs. We are watching a weird guy yes. yeah. in the privacy of his own apartment at points where he's laughing. At inappropriate things on the TV and then turning to someone who isn't there to share the laughter with them. You know, it's a very intimate portrayal. And the fact that when he is, um, you know, kind of staging these crime scenes almost, or manipulating them rather than staging them, he's doing it as a, in a way a filmmaker thinks, like, what, what, what makes the best shot here? Yes. I'll yeah. put the picture of the family on the fridge. Yeah. Close to right next to the, the blood, yeah, and the blood, and yeah. It's you know, it's not, it's an artist sort of instinct that he's yeah, going yeah. for, isn't it? And so you know, I think the film, it's about a guy that is looking down a camera. You oh know? yeah, yeah. Um, I I just think there's there's definitely a meta element to that. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah. That is everything I have to say. I don't have anything else to it. say on the matter. What about you, Eddie? I was like, George, did you want to? Uh... Because obviously it was on your list as well. Yes. Is there anything yes, you it was wanted? slightly lower than me than you, wasn't it? Yeah. 
Uh, it's my number seven. Uh, well, you want me to explain why well, it's it, lower than you? I don't know whether, but just if there was anything more to add. Obviously, it's on your list. We we know we know that. But... Yeah. No. 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 I've got nothing else to say. I think it's it being lower on my list than yours is just, is just down to the the films I've got on my list, as opposed yeah. to the, anything that's wrong with Nightcrawler. You know. Yeah. Uh, Presumably, was... it's the same for why it didn't make your top ten at all. Because you said it would be like number twelve or thirteen, right? Yeah. Just so many great films. Yeah. yeah there's not, nothing. That it's not to the detriment of Nightcrawler. It's no. not on my list. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Okay. Um, is it Sam or Jordan? It's me now. Jordan. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my number five is Parasite. This being the first film we've encountered on in this session, where yeah. we encountered it on the last session and couldn't talk about it. Indeed. So, do you want to talk about the plot, or shall I? Uh you can do the plot. Okay. All right. Parasite. Uh, it was my number seven. Just. To it was your you. number. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Let's say you just said this was like the first time this had happened. We literally just yeah, did, we just did it. We just did Nightcrawler, which was on my list this time and your list last time. Oh shit! Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, what's what is, what's he talking yeah. about? <laughs> okay, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this shows how little attention I pay, doesn't it? No, yeah, not only that, but it's in both cases it was someone else. You said seven. that right off the back of him saying. Do you want to explain why it was lower on your list? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Sorry, I wouldn't hammer the nail on this far usually, but no, no, no. You were completely. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I deserve that. <laughs> okay, Parasite. I'll give the plot for Parasite. Well, yeah. Parasite is a uh, South Korean film, uh, and it's in South Korean. But like all of the other, just what? Korean. Okay. Is there, actually no? I was going to say, is there much There's of a not. difference? There's not. No. No. Okay. No. Not that we'd know. Not that we'd know, yeah. But it's the... Uh... <laughs> North Korean language is silence. <laughs> Political. Political. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of three foreign films that show up on my list, but with all of them, I don't think... Oh, they're trying to show he's cultured. No, no, but that's the thing. Then not even remotely. Yeah, I, mean, I would like to be more cultured if we made about the Lego movie. It's fine. <laughs> But no, like, maybe you should watch more foreign films if if you got three on your top ten of the decade list. I maybe. mean, I would say to be fair, Parasite and another one that is on your list is the reason why I want to watch more foreign films. Yeah, so that was that was it nice. Is, it is fair enough. Yeah, it's nice that's opened that up for you. Yeah, because in, uh, the point I was going to make in in the case of the raid, Parasite and another film that is yet to be revealed. Um, <laughs> I love the I love those. Yeah, we got we got to set up. Yeah, we yeah we yeah. got to keep the mystery going. It's yeah, they none of them feel like. I think people's typical um, understanding of a foreign film, or what people typically think of, which is like it's black and white, it's French. Yeah, there's like shots that go on for ten minutes so where nothing's happening, but it means so something. The, the, you know? the artist, something like not that. even that because that's got broad appeal. You know, it's it's not a French new wave. I mean, to be fair, I would say I like the artist. You like the artist? Of, so. No, I mean, all, I think all three of your films transcend the language barrier. To be yes, fair. I yeah, um, exactly. Quickly before you give the plot, okay. I will say Bong Joon Ho, who recently won. Uh, the Golden Globe for Best Foreign Film yeah, for yeah. Parasite. He said something at, at that ceremony in his acceptance speech. It was like, if only we could get over the one and a half inch barrier of subtitles, I think a lot more people would enjoy yes. uh, foreign films. I, I, I mean... I think, not unfair, I will say, I think, I completely agree with him, like, people should get over that. Yeah. But he's made a film where it doesn't matter, I don't think. What does it matter? The language barrier. Because no. he's made a film that does trans because of its style, it transcends. Yes, and even though it's set, it's obviously set in North, uh, it's set in South Korea. I did it. I knew I would do it. Or I'd get the Koreas mixed up. <laughs> even though it's set in South Korea and it's in South Korean, 
and there are elements of the film that are probably exclusive to South Korea. Yeah. Um, it does. It's not alienating. No, not because it's, it's no, sort of a universal story in a sense. It feels like this is a story that could happen anywhere in the world. It just happens to be happening in South Korea. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the story of the film is a family are living in utter poverty. They're all jobless. They're all really struggling financially. But then the son is given an opportunity by his friend to work as a as an English tutor. Yep. To the daughter of this rich family who live in roughly the same area, but obviously they live in this, you know beautiful like the other side of town yeah the other side of town it's this beautiful almost like mansion whereas they're living in like a semi-basement yeah um and there's like a guy who is outside their apartment and he always like pisses into the apartment and it's just horrible this street gets fumigated yes uh it's that kind of place (laughs) yeah Yeah. um so the son goes to meet the rich family the mother of the rich family she's expecting someone with a college degree which he don't have so he has to tell a couple of little white lies but the family take to him so he gets the job as the uh english tutor he then sees the opportunity to get his sister to sort of be hired by the family as an art tutor. And then it sort of sets off a chain of events where the poor family are kind of integrating themselves into the lives of the rich family by yeah. sort of getting these jobs in servitude to the rich family. Initially, they're sort of taking opportunities as they're being presented. And then as time goes on, they're, shall we say, creating yeah. their own opportunities. That's the premise, but that's not the half of it. The no. Parasite. And obviously, this is a, a spoiler podcast yeah i don't really want to talk too much about the plot i was gonna say that because it's a very recent film yeah we touched on this briefly we we might talk about it more in depth the week of its release in the uk okay i think to go back to it yeah it's it's the kind of film where i think we need to sit down and possibly spend an entire podcast talking about it unpack over it unpack over it and also i think it's the type of film that benefits from you going it it's not like Cabin in the Woods, where the premise is kind of a spoiler. No, no. But no. it's the type of film that benefits from being able to surprise you on the first watch, and then you go back subsequent times and see when they were kind of planting the seeds of what It, it, it mm. starts as one thing and just completely transforms into something else. Yeah. Yes. But I guess let's just start talking about it then. Okay. Um, it's, it's the best kind of film where it's... And I want to just get out of the way. It's number seven on my list. Yeah. Only because of its novelty. Okay. If I'd seen this... In 2018, yeah, it would probably be in my top five. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's one of my favorite films. Yes. P- full stop. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's a, there's another film I got on here from 2018, and I was initially worried about that. So yes. the fact that I've ended up including a 2019 film, yeah, I'm very cautious of where it is. Yeah. But I'm also kind of like confident in its position. Yes. You know? I, I haven't seen a film in a very very long time where i've thought about it as much afterwards yes i'm not thought about it in in a kind of inception matrix way of i wonder how what that meant and how that you know what that really suggested or indicated yeah just thinking about it just like it, it being on my mind it's, you know it's interesting it's sort of one of those rare instances where the film almost feels like an entity unto itself like it doesn't feel like something that was written it doesn't feel like something that was directed or right. edited if or Apologies, or shot, or anything yeah. like. It just feels like a thing that existed, that just exists. It's a gift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and thank you, Bon Joon Ho. Thank you, Bon Joon Ho, for giving us this gift. Uh, but I, it almost doesn't feel. Yeah, it kind of feels like a a thing that 
it sounds stupid because obviously he did, but it feels like a thing he just kind of brought into existence, supposed to th- a thing that he made. Yeah, you know? the thing is, like, I'm not a big fan of his earlier films. Okay. Like, I admire certain things about the them. The only other thing I've seen is Snowpiercer, which was a little okay. bit stranger than I was expecting it to be. Okay. I watched it with my well, father. I've heard of Snowpiercer, actually. Yeah, I watched it with my father, and we were both a bit like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Mother, but I've seen The Host, which is pretty good. Okay. Snowpiercer, which I didn't think that much of. Okay. Um, and... Okja or Okja, whatever. Okja, um, I think it is. Oh, okay, I've heard of that as well. Wasn't a big fan of that. Okay. I didn't like that much at all. Was it? Was that up for awards? No, no, it wasn't. It was no. Netflix exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. Not that that would affect its awards eligibility. No, but they, yeah. But I, I've heard of it. I don't know why I would have heard of it. Well, Jill Law's in it. Oh, maybe that's why yeah. I've heard of it. Who's the main, uh, the person who with whom Okja is traveling? It's an Asian. Okay. I'm not sure. Okay. An Asian actor. I thought she. I thought that actress or actor. I, I could it's on honestly I remember Jay Jill's performance in it because it's so out of kilter with the rest of the film okay but that's kind of all I remember really okay alright and it, it kind of trying to um, hammer in like an environmental message that just didn't work yeah that's part um, of the course with films like that it is it? it is but Parasite so okay I watched so many films mm. that I just thought oh I've completely shattered my palate yeah I can't love a film anymore. It's just not you in have, me to do that anymore. You have a rule, don't you, when it comes to films? What about what films you watch and what films you don't? What do you mean? The what rule? Uh, Rotten Tomatoes rule, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Right, my general practice... This is too intimate. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> my oh, general yeah. practice with films... Exclusive for everyone here. Yeah. Is if a film is over 80%, unless it's a film I'm interested in for other reasons... Like Cats. Like cats, um, or if it, yeah, if a film's high sound, I'll gi- I'll give it a, or Joker for instance, yeah, um, which I was interested. Yeah, n- not a critical darling. Eleven Oscar nominations. Um, what a load of shit. Oh, that's that's shit. because the woke media couldn't handle yeah, 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 how yeah, jokery Joker yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, in a way. Um, yeah, so I generally only watch films if they're over uh, 80, 75, 80 percent. Yeah, and I do it week by week. Yes. So I was pulling off Parasite. Like, oh, I'll get around to it. Yeah. Uh, in February when it's out over here but no, no it seems to be a big awards contender yeah I want to see as much as I can before the so I watched it prematurely yes and yeah I, I thought I couldn't love a film anymore and I can I, I, I can still love <laughs> and I love 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 Parasite I love it I love it I love it and I love it <laughs> you, you know I've well, ne- I, I, I do yeah. but I've never heard you say a sentence like that in my entire what like, I love it the, the, just that's like you gushing over something and that's <laughs> basically just no know, it's not like me is it no yeah I, I don't yeah. like it <laughs> stop it <laughs> um, no yes I am um, I well it made you interested in foreign cinema didn't it yeah and and the thing I just I don't know. I don't know what it is about foreign cinema. I've just never really. Well, it does have like gone a, in for it. Yeah, it has like a taboo around it almost. Like, it's kind of like oh, I can't be dealing with that. Like if I, if I'm being anymore. honest, when I say I've like films that you I would consider foreign cinema before this that I've seen. Yeah. The artist mm-hmm. and Pan's Labyrinth. Okay, that's another kind of like transcendent of its mm-hmm. cultural barriers. Yeah, you know? and the artist is a silent movie. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> By definition, transcends the language barrier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, there was because I didn't know. By the time I watched it, I knew you'd seen it. Yeah, I didn't know you'd seen it. Okay, but you, I mean, you recommend stuff to me all the time. Yeah, and you were like, "Yeah, you you've got to, you've got to watch this. You've got <laughs> yeah. to watch this." 
And um, your response after you watched it, I think you just said, I've got one word, parasite. Yes. <laughs> that, is, that is the text I sent you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, no, I think it was parasite, that is all. That is all, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that's a, yeah, this is a very me thing to say. Which yeah. it could have gone either way. You could, you could have loathed it and it could have, you know, um, parasite. I don't even say anything more about it. Um, but no, I, I, I knew. Yeah. <laughs> I knew what you meant. But yeah, that, I haven't stopped thinking about it. Yeah. Mm. I've seen it twice now. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do want to, we were talking about like the subtitles and stuff like that. I do want to throw it out. The subtitles for the sex scene make me laugh. <laughs> no end. I've got to say, you know, I watch my fair share of foreign films. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is one of the few foreign comedies mm. where it's funny just by reading it. Yes. Obviously yeah. it's in the performances as well, but the lines are but, funny. Yeah. But it, it, I think it's because basically, I, I mean, I call it a sex scene. Well, it is a sex scene. It is, yeah. It is. They're having a bit of fun on the sofa. Yeah. yeah. He's um, frigging her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and her response, I mean, it's kind of like a role play, I suppose, kind of thing. Yes. But her response in this role play is her just saying, buy me drugs over and over <laughs> again. <laughs> now, there was a part of me that when I read that, I genuinely went, is someone fucking with me with the subtitles? <laughs> like, have I just, is someone fucking... Well, it's... it's Because I have no, I, yeah, I have no idea. It's yeah. a Korean film, buy me drugs could be his character. <laughs> <laughs> oh no yeah um, um well no it's because we're trying to avoid as many spoilers as we can it sort of feeds into something that happened earlier in the film yes so, we'll, yes. so um yeah i have points about it but some of them we we're talking around it aren't we I, yeah i do kind of give the game away and i don't want to i yeah. don't quite want to do that let's just be vague and praise i would say okay. i think i think be vague praise um but we do promise all of you that there is a proper yeah yeah, and I think unless you're you you're phobic towards for like you you actually hate them on principle. Yeah, you're going to like this film. Yeah, I would. I, would, I don't I, think I, say, I don't think I know anyone across the spectrum of age, intelligence, everything. I think everyone will like this film if you give it a go. Yeah, yeah. as I say, it it opened up my palette, and as as I say, I don't really know why that like I hadn't ventured into that area more, mm-hmm. but. Certainly now, it's it's like it's a new av- avenue open that that I just I, I'm gonna look forward to exploring yeah. more. It's yeah. like certainly as this year goes on. No, I think it's yeah. like it's it's a good film unto itself, but I don't think it's also a, it's also a very good gateway film as well. It is for people who want to get into foreign cinema. This is say, definitely one of your first stops. I think. I mean, yeah. I, I I hate to harken back to a film we haven't yet spoken about, <laughs> but the film that's on your because it's on your list. Yeah. Um, that probably would have done it as well anyway. Yeah, I would agree yeah. so, yeah. Because I I watched the two within the space of, like, two days of each other. Okay. And was immediately taken by both. Yeah. Well, Parasite, kind of, it, it's, it straddles kind of high culture and low culture in a way. By which I mean, you know, you see, I've watched the trailer after the fact to see what it gives away. Mm. And it's fil- filled with these lord-free things like, oh, a, 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 an urgent study of class and all that sort of mm. And I think it is those things. It is those can film festival things yeah but it's also a, a farce a slapstick a comedy a yeah. not slapstick in you know in a run for your wife kind of yeah yeah but it's a it's just a comedy it's it's a draw a drama comedy that is incredibly intelligent but but not impenetrably so no yeah you you get what it's trying to say you know? yes it's, yeah. it's all there yeah and it's very digestible and it's very easy to watch yeah and it's very it's lovely so to look e- at. it's so easy to oh, watch it's a beautiful yeah, yeah. looking film it's absolutely cool it's impeccably directed yeah the, the... You know, I, I don't know how a guy who's made for me such middling films yeah created such 
uh, an airtight masterpiece. Yes. Because the other thing as well is the film takes place in what? Four locations? Mm -hmm. There's like the, the house, the rich people's house, in which it mainly is just the living space. Yeah. There's the set there's the semi basement that the family live in. Yeah. And then there's like one or two other locations that show up are like one or two moments like in the plot. And, yeah. yeah. The, the, but other car, than that, the, the car and the place they stay overnight one night. Yeah, yeah but apart yeah, from yeah. that, it's all kind of in the same place, but it never it never gets boring and it never feels like they're running out of ways of portraying that location, you know? No, I yeah. th- I think it's around 130 minutes long. Yeah. And it feels about half that. Yes. Yeah. I will say news broke a couple of days ago that they're doing an HBO series. The, yes, well, they're doing they they're doing do a that. they're doing a mini series. Yeah. Yeah. Adam McKay, uh, Bond, you know, is involved. Okay, but I and, with Adam know, McKay. Well, in in two years, we'll do an episode of the podcast where we might well sing its praises. But I don't like this idea at all. No, he just said at the Golden Globes, "Oh, finally, we can overcome the the one inch." Yeah, yeah. Sign. Then you're making an American adaptation of it. Doesn't make no sense to me. Yeah, yeah, and from what I can gather, it will be an American adaptation because yeah. it's not going to be the same characters necessarily. No. It's going to be, um, you know, it's not going to be Korean. No. Yeah, no, the story needs a bit of tweaking so that it makes it sense does. in an American the, context. The, the thing is, it kind of, like I said, it is a universal story, mm. but but it's its specificities that push it into a film that I love. Yes. It would be lesser, I think, if it was an American film. I can't explain why that is. No. The fact that it's Korean adds something to it, you know? Yeah. M- my hope is this is another thing that just falls by the wayside and in two years' time we're not talking about it at all, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, they yeah, just yeah. kind of realise, yeah. yeah, oh, maybe just watch Parasite instead of, like, watching yeah. the this pound shop version that America might uh, make. And I speak as a, you know, an early Fargo sceptic when yes. they announced that they were doing a TV show. Oh, really? Okay, and yeah. And now I love that show. Yeah, I, don't, I haven't so seen really, much of it, but yeah. yeah, I'm coming on board. But... So. Yeah, my instinct says this is just a terrible cash in, horrible idea. Yeah, especially getting Adam McKay, he can fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do have a couple of things. Okay. If if we feel like it's getting a bit too specific, maybe we can cut them okay. out. Okay, okay. But I feel like the audience deserves a bit of specificity. Yeah. At this point of the discussion, I, so if we don't like it, we'll just scream at Jord. No. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, this is so metaphorical. That's a line that crops up a couple of times during the film. The son keeps saying it every now and again. Yeah. When something like major, when they're kind of hatching a plan. Yes. And the plan is unfolding. He goes, "Oh, this is so metaphorical." Yeah. What does he mean by that? I understand what he literally means by that, but why do you think that's a recurring thing with throughout the the film? I think, well, a you've got to think of whether that has a slightly different meaning in Korea. Mm. Not the word metaphorical, but whether. That was the best translation that we could have gotten. Yeah, because 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 there are certainly metaphors within the film, and there's yeah. even a an item, a recurring item in the film that is clearly a metaphor for something. I, I think or a it, symbol for something. I think it's a joke that mm. he is misunderstanding or misusing. Okay, what he, he's smart, but like I don't think. Well, this thing I. I kind of took away from the fact that he is a smart person, but maybe he'd heard that word and didn't. Yeah. And I was just using it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. You mean the character, though? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No, the actor's dumb as shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because the character is... um, Yes, he's not doing well, but he's also not an idiot. No, like he... You know, he he manages to talk himself into being an English teacher. As does the daughter. That's one of the things... No, that's the thing. Yeah. So they are on the bottom of society, the family. Yeah. But they're very smart. They're not like idiot trash. I really like the portrayal of this family because I feel like an inferior film would portray them as, oh, they're good people. The Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. These, yeah, they're not necessarily well, yeah, it would good be, people. They, yeah, they would, <laughs> they would either be treated as like, you know, um, 
oh, they're kind of fools, but they're likable. Mm-hmm. Or they would be people who were injustice has been sort of like inflicted upon them Mm -hmm. you know they deserve wealth and riches but society has just fucked them over yeah yeah, yeah. it doesn't treat them like that you do get the sense that it's sort of like they've been unlucky but it's also kind of their fault that they're in the position they are yeah they're they're kind of a scheming family yeah they're they're all they're all kind of they're unilaterally minded about it's all about how do we make money and and you can get in it's a bit like (laughs) this is a we i never thought i'd be making this comparison it's like the british sitcom bread Go in on. bread. Um, <laughs> I, so, don't, I don't know what bread is. Okay, bread's an eighties Liverpool sitcom about a a Catholic family, like the mother, the matriarch of this family. Okay, five children, and just they're all kind of scraping for pennies, basically. Mm-hmm. And isn't like, like isn't the thing a recurring gag? Like one of the sons is going to like the dole office and making up conditions about his grandfather. Yeah, like on oh, my grandfather's budgie died. We need money. Sorry about that. Yeah, fucking thing. <laughs> um, God, just because you're popular, son. Jesus, my mother. <laughs> Um, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and in bread, one of the recurring kind of uh, motifs, I suppose, is whenever they sit down for dinner, which is kind of like the main set of, of the sitcom, the mother, there, she has a little kind of um, hen jar. Yeah. And she opens the hen jar, and they all throw, like, a share, like, a tenner, a fiver, yeah. whatever they can spare, basically. And that sense of a family unit, like, there's the understanding of, if you make money, we all dip in, basically. Yeah. It's that kind of family where it's there's just an understanding. They're one, basically. Yes. There's no internal. Yeah, an, an interesting. United de- by their smell. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting detail that I noticed that the family are constantly like swearing in front of each other. Yeah. Which is sort of like I don't know what where that kind of lies in Korean culture. Whether that's like seen as a big no-no swearing around right. your parents or your children. Um, over here, it can be a bit like you know, within like broad functional family units swearing amongst your parents I don't know if that's seen as like a I like a typical thing or not it depends on the language it dep- well it depends, it depends on the age yeah. I think a, a sign of a functional family is one who can swear around each other right okay. not if you're calling each other cunts all the time I was saying no. I, I mean my mother heard me using the word cunt I'd probably get a fucking chew around the ear but which okay. is why you just said it on this podcast exactly she inevitably hear. <laughs> exactly because this is like the one I told her she can listen to <laughs> Um, but Shout yeah, I thought, you, that was a, I thought that was a nice detail where they're not—they're not a family unit; they are kind of accomplices, you know. Yes, that's right. Um, it's kind of another film. It reminds me of *The Shoplifters*. Okay, which is um, a Chinese film mm. that's essentially the same family in the underbelly of society. Yeah, and they they take in a stray kid and yeah. and, and raise it. But that's kind of as I remember, if I'm remembering correctly. That they're not a, a nuclear family. They're a family of waifs and strays mm. that have formed a, f- a family unit, even though none of them are related to each other. I see. Okay. Um, this is a, a, an actual nuclear family. Yes. But it feels like that. They're, they're just co-conspirators. Yes. Yeah. And they all have, like, one of the first scenes in the film, you mentioned the fumigation. Yeah. There's the streets being fumigated, and the current occupation at that point in the film is they're folding pizza boxes. Yeah. And they have so many boxes to fold, they're on a strict time limit. So... The fumigation comes around and one of the family members is like, oh, we should probably close the window. And the father's like, no, 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 we'll get free fumigation, leave the window open. So obviously the, the gases make their way into the apartment. It clouds the apartment. The, the children are like properly struggling and coughing. And it's just sort of, it's a shot that's kind of like holding on the father as he's just kind of like blankly just folding pizza Says boxes. everything you need to know about the character. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And they all have a moment like that in the film where they're doing something that's very kind of like, oh, I don't like that about mm. you. But at the same time, it doesn't, like... They also kind of do something to redeem themselves. Yeah. Um, I kind of... What did I put down for the father? Um, 
while you're just looking at it, I would yeah. just like to take the point of I've, I'm very aware of the fact that I said they were united by their smells. <laughs> that is a comment that is brought up in the film. I'm not just oh yeah, quest- yeah. that becomes questioning yeah. Yeah, yeah. like Korean smell is like a thing <laughs> that's just discuss. Methinks the gentleman doth protest too much. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I do the same when you point out I use the feminine as a cancer muck, so it's, <laughs> shut up. No, all I put down for the father was um, he's doing he's putting his family in a position where they're uncomfortable on purpose, but it's so that they can get paid. Yeah. Like, he's not doing it out of cruelty, he's doing it out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Another thing with the daughter is the daughter, like, is trying to get hired as, like, the art therapist slash art tutor for the son of the rich family. She's saying things that are sort of, like, deliberately scaring the mother almost she's kind of like scaring the mother into hiring her Mm -hmm. but when you see her because the son is very like hyperactive and he's all over the place and he's a menace in the household but whenever he's in her company he's like calm and tame and placid yeah yeah. so even though she's like it's the same with all of them even though they've done like very unsavory things to get where they are they're all good at what they do this is the thing and they all work hard at what they do yeah like they falsify a diploma yeah and the son says um oh it's just it's just kind of until I actually go to university. It's just to get in during the it's door. Just... Oh yeah, no, he says, I don't see this as forgery, I see this as, yeah, um, yeah I'm yeah. basically like, it's an early degree. It's an early degree. Yeah. Yes, they're all very capable. Like, yeah. Like, if they had just, tried, not tried harder, but you know, yeah. like, they put their attention elsewhere, they yes. could have legitimately, made, and not to give the ending away, but the suggestion is that the son will, I'm not going to say anything. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting, because if you were going in the direction that you, I think you're going, mm. I would say the opposite is true. But that's not going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm not saying it's going Because there's happen. a scene earlier in the film where he's speaking to the father. Yeah. And the father says something that if you kind of apply that to that final scene, yeah, it yeah. makes what's being said kind of ironic. or Not ironic, but like... No, I, it's... You it, sort of, you learn to take, you learn to understand that... Yeah, basically these things aren't gonna like this no, is the sun's plan and it's not gonna play of out. Of course, mm. and the future that plays out is a fantasy. Yes. That we do see that play out as a fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying it will happen, but there's the idea that he could do that. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I would say it's I, I have it's it's a it's a very minor criticism. Okay. It's it's This it's, is the one thing one film on my list I have no critique for. Okay. No. Mine, not, is, mine is not a critique, but a question. But it requires spoilers, so I won't, um, I won't bring it up. As I say, it's like, it's like a minor thing, and it's the uh, the only thing that like picked in my mind. Not with the son and the daughter, like legitimately, like them getting those jobs and making that their own. Fine, yeah. yeah. But then the roles the parents take on, mm-hmm. it just felt a little convenient that they would make it so that they could get a job that suited the father, but as easy as they did. Well, and then the mothers, and as I say, it's a, it's like a little criticism because I, it it is so minor. But it was like the thing of I went, it is convenient that the two roles that they could have thing he did that as a job and she basically did that as a job. Well, to be fair, their jobs aren't particularly skill based, are they? No, like and as as jobs. I say, and it, and it works with with the film. Yeah. But it was as I say, it was like the like a little yeah, thing. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. But, I'm sure, like in a few years, I might have something bad to say about it, but I'm very aware. I'm still <laughs> ten years down, yes. like, ten years down the line. Yeah. We're talking about like Star Wars eighteen, and Sam's like, "Oh, actually, I have a criticism. <laughs> Parasites. I did it. I found one." <laughs> um, yeah. It's cute that you think we're only build Star Wars eighteen by that point. <laughs> oh yeah, Star Wars twenty eight. It's again, we're not going to give anything away. It's such an... What, okay. You don't 
anticipate what's coming at all. No, it is genuinely like yeah. out of nowhere, but also this isn't my point. Yeah, it's unexpected but inevitable. Yes. As soon as the film's over, you're like, of course it was going to be a film about that. Yes. Of yeah. course it was always going here. Yeah. But you have no idea where it's going when you're no. watching it. And that is the best type of story. Yeah. Hands down. Um, It's also such an obvious story. Say, without giving much away, yeah. can I talk about the housekeeper for like a second? Yeah. Her secret. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Love well, it. Yeah. Absolutely when you, love it. When yeah. you discover that secret, that's the moment where you're the watching the film and something else. Yeah, that's yeah. the moment where you go, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. 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 Because yeah. I, 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 where the as, fuck is this going? As soon as that happened, I was like, she's got a fucking secret too. Like, what? I'll be honest, yeah. I, was wa- I was watching the film uh, on my laptop and I was liking it a lot. Mm. Yeah. I'm like, if it just stays like this, yeah. this is going to be a real good. And then that, the, the turn happened. Yes. I paused it, stood up and went, okay. <laughs> and I knew I was in for something you like just really had to sort special. of prepare yourself I was like okay I know this yeah. is where it's going to become great I can make sure I'm ready for the film yeah, yeah. basically but so I was like okay yeah. here, here we go where it goes subterranean yeah um, yeah it's and also it's such an obvious not an obvious story but after it's done you're like how has that never been done before yes yeah. Do you know, I can't believe that story's never been told before yeah. it's yeah. so kind of obvious it's so simple yeah it's just so right yeah. isn't it yeah, the way it's told as well. There's nothing about the film which feels like, oh, that's an extraneous detail. Or, no, that was done incorrectly. Which is why I'm sure that they feel it's suitable to be remade in America. Because yeah, it's such and a simple, obvious story. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, I know. yeah. I think for the sake of not giving anything else away. Yeah. Unless we've got anything else to final, like final wrap up on it. Not really. Uh, this might become something that I bring up as we get further and further up the list. But like the just the the pacing and the rhythm of the film, mm-hmm. I love that because that's one of my as an editor that's like something that's kind of a philosophy that I've adopted. That you always like, you know, as an editor, your kind of temptation is to focus on like continuity and making the shots like logical and sound. And but I feel like the best films are always the one that that have like a rhythm and a flow and an ebb to them, um, which many films further up the list definitely have. But Parasite in particular, mm. there's like a moment where he's having. A convers- where the son is having a conversation with his friend and it's the scene where the son tells him look you can be an English tutor mm-hmm. to this girl if you want where they're sort of like they're having this dialogue back and forth and then the son uh, like asks him a question or I think he says oh are you telling me that I have to lie to this family to mm-hmm. get in and he pauses and a bus goes behind them and then the scene sort of carries on and initially I noticed it because it's not like a major beat but I kind of noticed it and I was like oh okay that's something I've noticed but Bong Joon-ho and the Guy who plays the son, I don't know his name. Yeah, I'm not sure of their name. They did a vanity, one of those Vanity Fair videos where it's like right. such and such talks about the opening scene sure. of blah blah blah, and they focused on that scene and they said that they 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 actually did that. It wasn't superimposed, and they did about four or five takes or three or four takes in order to get the to get it lined up perfectly. Right. Mm. Like, well, why on earth would they do that? Yeah. But I think it is just because that bus passes and then the scene kind of like the important information of the scene starts to kind of be delivered so it's not only does it kind of serve as like a pause in the scene it's like okay the scene is changing pay attention now yeah it's also just like because there was a natural silence there they've kind of done something in the background to keep the rhythm of the scene going yeah um and also there's um there's a video from i think it's nerdwriter one that Mm. is a a youtuber isn't it you're the man to know okay he does video essays and he's done a video essay on the 
uh, montage where the mother gets hired. Sure. And he sort of talks about the rhythm and the pacing of that and how balletic and kind of perfect and symmetrical everything is. And yeah. yeah, that's... As I say, this is something that might come up with other films, but in Parasite in particular, it's just so well-paced. It's just so, like... It is. Everything is perfectly well-judged. Yeah. Uh, it's the perfect fusion of style and substance. It is a very stylish film. Hmm. And usually I feel like when films are described as stylish, it's almost saying... it, But it's not very substantial. Yeah, you kind, of, you kind of think of films that are sort of, like, big and bombastic. Kind of like an Edgar Wright thing, where it's sort of... Stylish is a euphemism for hollow, I think, a lot of the time. There is, yeah, that's that side of it as well. And this is absolutely not the case with Parasite. No. no. And I will say, it feels like it's been impeccably crafted to perfection. Mm. But I remember in Empire Review of Inception, uh, you know, obviously years ago, them saying that... Leonardo DiCaprio is great, but in films like The Departed, you always feel the weight of his acting. Mm. Whereas in Inception, they felt that you didn't... It was kind of effortless, in a way. Yeah. yeah. And that's what Parasite feels like. It feels like a, a perfectly crafted masterpiece. But if you're watching a Kubrick film, I'm not saying it's laboured, but you're watching going, oh man, this guy is really trying hard to make a masterpiece. Yeah. And you with Parasite, you don't think that at all. It's got no. such a lightness of touch. Yeah. It's so effortless. And I will say, I, Empire are releasing their top 100 films of the uh, century at the moment. Oh, right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And You mean the century that we're like 20 years into? Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. okay. Not the decade, the, the yeah. century. Yeah, they wanted to one-up everyone. Avengers Endgame is around like the 30 mark. Yeah. And they is. kind of give a little dig to Scorsese at the end by saying, and Captain America realising that he's worthy enough to hold Mjolnir on the battlefield, kills cinema. And that's how they sign off. That right. Thing. Like, no, no, no. The flood sequence in Parasite. Yes, that is pure cinema. Yes, yeah, it is. And that's that scale. That's you know that's oh, yeah. grand scale filmmaking. But that is pure cinema. Yes, not a bunch of fucking CGI. <laughs> Empire were coming for you. Yeah, <laughs> we're gunning for you, Empire. Who named Avengers Endgame the best film of 2019? Okay, well they're wrong because it's Parasite. <laughs> Correct. But enough about Parasite. Considering how vague we've been, we've talked about yeah. Parasite for a while. I want to cap it off with one little observation. Uh, I don't re- I'm, I'm never, I'm not attracted to Asian women, but the daughter, I would. Let's move on. <laughs> well, the problem is I am attracted to Asian women. I agree with you, but... <laughs> no, that's it's, the it's, thing. A, it's the power to you, You're not I, wrong, it's... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I definitely would. Oh, yeah. Uh, I didn't know that the... Uh, the the sort of like little jingle, the little song she does at the doorbell, that's become like a viral hit. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> like amongst, like, I think it's just, it might be international, but certainly within Korea, like that, the Jessica jingle, they're calling it. That's like, a, yeah, that's kind of like a viral thing among fans. It's just okay. like topping the charts in Korea. <laughs> it might be, genuinely. I wanted to learn it, but I couldn't yeah. quite get the, the sound of it down before the podcast. But yeah, it's, uh, I was surprised at that. All right. But yeah, on to you, Sam. My number five is... Tyrannosaur. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> I do wonder um, yeah. what I did to upset you that you made me watch Tyrannosaur <laughs> and Calvary in the same They're short period of time. Films. Well, let's talk about Tyrannosaur some more then. Okay. I-, I will. I will say. Yeah. J- just to to count to add to his point. Yeah, yeah. When I I came to yours and you. you you went, which of my list haven't you seen? <laughs> I pointed out the Tyrannosaurus one. You're like, yep, you're in for a bleak morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. But I, yeah, I, my best self doesn't stand by that. Um, 
but also as we're talking I, I love this film but I'm very mindful already that Parasite is a superior film okay I just want to get that out of the way okay uh, well yeah, you committed it, to it now I'm glad I committed to so it so sell us sell yes. us on Tyrannosaur Sam uh, okay well Tyrannosaur is about a, uh, a a lonely alcoholic man in his 50s I would say played by Peter Mullen oh, so me in 25 years yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um, at the beginning of the film in a fit of anger he kicks his dog and the dog dies and he's kind of bereft he ends up sleeping outside what no, it's just like, that's how we're starting. And you want to maintain the thing that it's not like bleak or just depressing. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not dark. He, yeah. opens, it's not he opens with him kicking his dog. Don't like, at least Calvary, at least they waited until like the film was ramping up to kill the dog. Oh, that's how they to, start with yeah, Tyrannosaur. Yeah. Um, you've got an obsession or something. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Bereftie ends up kind of kipping outside this charity shop uh, where Hannah works, played by Olivia Coleman. Uh, she invites him in, she kind of tends to him. And the two strike up a weird, kind of unique friendship. That's sort of it, plot-wise, really. I, I, the film is about their blossoming, non-romantic relationship. Mm. Uh, she is abused by her husband. She's in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know about this, really. Played by Eddie Marzan. Played, by Eddie, played very well by Eddie Marzan. Mm. Yeah, a different role. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll get. I'm sure we'll get into Eddie yeah. Marzan. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's it's about the film about these. It's a film about these two people, basically. Right. Yes, it's very dark. Yes. The subject matter is very dark. It's aesthetically very dark. Yes. It's very coarse. There's a lot of cunt. And, you know, Peter yeah. Mullen is a bit, he's a very Scottish guy. And, so, and, you know, when he swears, it feels worse. Um, Where's the film set? It's just set in. Um, or where was it filmed? England. The yeah. Because it? um, it's such a grimy, scummy looking place. All the places the film kind of are around. Yeah. The locations that the film is sort of in. They're just really like... Like the type of places that we would go to in real life and just be like, right, we've got to get out of here. You know, they're just horrible, scummy places. It's all all council estates and kind of uh, pubs where they probably let you smoke. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's it's that kind of film. It's it's that sort of bleak, uniquely British sodium orange film. Yeah. So I'll get I'll get this out of the way so you can't slag it off too much. Okay. I think my grandmother passed away around the time I saw this film. So mm. she passed away and then I saw the film. Okay. Now, thematically, nothing is... There's no overlap there. No. But I think the emotional response that I had to the film is always connected to that kind of time in my life. And so I always... I think fondly of the film because of that, if you know what I mean. Okay, all right. Um, even though they're, they're not related whatsoever. No, no I understand yeah, completely, yeah. It's a, yeah. Me, Johnny Cash and my, my say, brand go hand yeah, in hand. We have, right. we have the same relationship with different songs, don't we? We've yeah. sort of like spoken about that before. Yeah. yeah. I know, it's similar to Calvary, though I would say, because the ending of Calvary does some does have, does have some ambiguity, an argument could be made that it's not an uplifting ending mm. whereas I would say in Tyrannosaur it's a lot less ambiguous okay you know you can make your mind about where it goes from there but I think it is an objectively happy ending okay no it is right it, uh, okay again it's it's a, it's one of those things of yeah okay this is ha- this is a happy ending but the utter misery I've had to sit through <laughs> it's not going away yet you know no, like I know the that. Scene, you're not, you're not gonna... The big scene, the scene yeah. with Olivia Coleman, yeah, yeah, yeah. where she sort of talks about what her husband has done to her. That's what stays with you. 
of over, course it over is, the yeah. happy ending, you know? Well, it stays with you in the sense of you come away thinking about it, but I don't think it stays, like, the feeling of that scene stays with Oh, you. no, it does. Oh, okay. So I, I, <laughs> it stuck with me. I don't have that at all. Like, it, 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 it's I, I said on the lot because we her was uh one of the one of the films on your list mm. in the last podcast and I said that it was uh the hardest I tried not to cry when watching yeah. a film because obviously I was in the company of other people. Yeah. Tyrannosaur is not far behind it because I was in the room with you while we were watching it. Even though yeah yeah, yeah. oh no I will I will reliably cry at that scene. Yeah. So, even though I was yeah, like I I this is probably sa- it's probably safe to cry here because it's just yeah, Sam. Yeah. It was still kind of like yeah. That is it was the weird. Least it was all... safe place to cry. <laughs> no, it was weird. It was almost like oh, no, if because so, if, you, if we were watching a film and you cried, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say anything. Yeah. If I observed it, I was just like, right, I might address it after the film. Yeah. But good, it's it's uh, you know evincing this kind of response. Yeah, no, it's not that. It was weirdly almost like because she's talking about these things that her husband had done. Yeah. It weirdly felt almost like well, if I cry, it's like he's like, he's beating you. Yeah. Yeah, well, we go, we can't let if we cry he wins and I can't yeah, do that. Yeah, the scene obviously we can we can spoil the plot for this. Um, we don't care about this one. Well, no, it's, yeah, it it's not new. Ten years ago. Yeah. Almost. So yeah, twenty eleven is one of the earlier yeah. entries on this list. Yeah. yeah. Basically, as I said, Hannah is abused by her husband, and she um, kind of stands up for herself one mm. night. He basically knocks her unconscious. He rapes her. The next day, she goes to Joseph, the main character, uh, and kind of stays with him. He keeps encouraging her to like go home and get your stuff, and I'll go with you. We'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. They, they, this friendship d- deepens, and then he's like, "I'm just gonna go to her house and get the, her stuff." He goes there. Eddie Marzan's dead. She's clearly killed him. Yeah. Um, and then he comes home, kind of without saying anything really. Well, he just says to, "What have you done?" Yeah, and she tries to play it off, mm. and he just looks at her, mm. and then she basically just completely breaks down. Yeah, and and just said kind of, well, says some of the things that happened. Yeah, he put things inside me. That sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's dark. Yes, it's really it, it's really fucking bleak, dark. Sam. <laughs> no, it is. It is bleak. And I'm not saying that, that there are moments. Of course, there are moments of. Yes. Okay. It's bleak. <laughs> but we did it. We got no, no, there. We okay. got it. It's it bleak, but it's not. Um, See, we always have this argument. It's a fundamental interpretation of of what how you think of the word depressing or depression or depressed or bleak. When I think a bleak film, I think of a film that's nasty mm. and kind of, or if it's not nasty, like Transformers films, I think are bleak genuinely. Okay, because they are they are cynical films. Yes, they, they are horrible. The people making them have ill intentions. When I think of depressing films, I tend to think of films where the ending, there's no redemption in it. You can have a lot of misery. If it's redeemed, I don't consider it a depressing film. Okay. Because it's a reward, isn't it? You put, yeah, you put yourself through the ringer, Mm. but then you are rewarded with optimism. Okay. And I think those films are more rewarding because you've had to work through them, you know? I mean, rewarding, yes, and optimism, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. But at the end, she's in prison, serving basically a life sentence for killing yes. him. But it's not like it's not like the film. She confesses that she did this, and then she's locked in. They throw away the key, and that's the ending. The ending is he goes to visit her in prison, yeah. where she's clearly happy. Like even though yeah, she's in prison, yeah, yeah, it's clearly a minimal security prison for one. Yes, yeah, she ain't a crazy bitch. They're free. They've saved each other. Is that ending basically? Yeah. And then Joseph walks off into the sunset, essentially. Yes. Um, 
Am I am I is it the right film I'm thinking of where he's cut down on like the drinking at the end? Yeah, he's sort of yeah. he's cleaned himself yeah. up a bit. He he's kills cleaned... he kills another dog. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, no, no, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, but he cleans his act up. Yeah. Um this, so sorry it's sorry about this chair by the way. It's <laughs> fucking squeaking. Go yeah, I, I I do apologize for the <laughs> circumstance of the seating and the uh, <laughs> But yes, so he ends up um killing another dog. Yeah. He beheads the fucking thing. He does. And then sits in a chair with the head. He does. And then the owner has to see that. But... You don't care about the owner seeing that, though. No, you don't. You're kind of rooting for him yeah. for doing it at that point. Oh, yeah, this was not a good dog he's killed. No, no. no. Um, well, we'll get to that. Okay. okay. We'll, get to that. well, that that's the one thing, because I can't remember off the top of my head mm-hmm. what the dog does exactly. It, so, okay, so Joseph has neighbours... Yeah. Um, a, a young mother, her son, and her boyfriend, who was kind of abusive to the son. He's a cunt. He's a cunt. And uh, he, he kind of, he's made his dog really vicious and angry uh, by mistreating it and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. uh, toward the end of the film, him and his mates are playing with, uh, a dicking around with the kid. And then uh, the dog gets hold of the child's toy. He goes to get it, and then the dog bites him in the face. So Joseph kills the dog as like a because he felt like something had to be adjusted, like balance needed to be yeah. redressed. So that's why he kills the dog. Why he does it so brutally, that we can talk about maybe why that's the case. Mm. Yeah, um, but he, I would say it's because of well, I mean, he's, because he's, fu- he's fucked up. Yeah, and also he can't kill Eddie Marzan, can he? No. Yes. Yeah. That, so that's part of it. Yeah. Yes, he's he's taken out on this, but also okay. The, the dog thing's really strange, and the thing about Tyrannosaur, y- you know, it's a character film mm. and it's a tone film. Yeah, but it's it, it's kind of unexpectedly deep in a way in those sorts of areas where killing a dog or dogs it uh, is the buck end. Yeah, this film. If it starts with this despicable act, like we introduced this character, it's the first thing that happens. Yeah, he walks out. He's thrown out of a club. He's just like muttering angrily to himself. And then the dog, he tries pulling it. It won't come as quickly as he wants. He kicks it. It dies. Credits. Like that's the very yeah. first thing. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so, we're supposed to like this guy now is, you know, sort of the idea. And then the film ends with him doing the same thing, but it represents something completely yeah. different. You know, it's, it's a really strange say, thing. It To be fair, it is, it's one film where I have looked at the film poster and I and I don't necessarily always think this with film posters, where I've looked at the film poster and gone, this sums up the bleakness and what this film is trying to embody. Okay. okay. Because obviously the poster is just a skeleton of a tri- uh, tyrannosaur. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. it's a film like uh, submarine in the the title has really nothing. Well, not much to do with. Um, that no, was actually tyrannosaur was a nickname. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah, that's what yeah. I wanted to bring up. Um, I mentioned when we were talking about the title for Calvary how much yeah. I like titles like that mm-hmm. where it's sort of like it almost act, it's almost kind of like a an invitation yeah but almost sort of like a, a piece that you can use to decode the film mm-hmm. like as soon as I heard Calvary and like what it was it was like okay I understand the film better now yeah but in terms of Tyrannosaur the title feels very weak like the like the way that it's sort of like implemented into the film because it's right. a nickname that the main character gave to his wife right yeah yeah, and I don't know. I said he was just being a dick. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, um... No, he said. He said. She says, "Why did you do it?" He says, "Because I'm a cunt." Yeah, yeah. She yeah. says it. Yeah. Um, but also, I don't know what that title's supposed to mean 
to the film as a whole. I know how it's justified in the world of the film. Right. I know where it's come from, yeah. but I don't know what it's supposed to say about the film or represent about the film. I would say that it represents the place he's coming from. He's coming from a place where he called his wife that. Where yeah. he, he kicks his dog to death. Yeah. He's an angry, kind of horrible man, really. <clears throat> that fundamentally is what... It, it, it's a kind of character-revealing moment. Mm. And it comes in a moment of honesty where he just says to Hannah, I'm not a nice person. Yeah. So it's kind of about that their relationship. And also, Tyrannosaur, it's a, something that's buried. Okay. Right? Yeah. Buried things... Yeah. Hiding underneath the surface. Well, as you said, yeah. the poster is literally a tyrannosaur skeleton buried in the earth. Isn't yeah. It? yeah, yeah, and it's about secrets, you know. Yeah. Um, I've got a lot to say about this, so I apologise in advance. Okay. Peter Mullen is outstanding. Yep, yep. It's one of the angriest characters I've ever seen. Yeah. In it's angrier than Lewis Black's anger in his head. Um, <laughs> and he is and the he embodiment is anger. of anger. Yeah. Yep. I would be terrified to be in a room with him. Yes. Yeah. Um, he just exudes this horrible, like. Yeah you know like ungodly energy it's it's slightly different to um what's his name from this is england he's also played al capone in uh stephen graham yeah because he's a character i'd be he's a person who i'd be scared to the same and to be in the same room as especially yeah. in this is england yeah yeah but it, he kind of radiates a violent energy yeah whereas unhinged. Unhinged, yeah and him yeah. like at any moment he could just cut you to pieces yeah, yeah. Mm. whereas peter mullen it's it's not quite that is it no it's kind of well the anger's more on the surface i think with yeah. him yeah, he's more coarse. He's like, ugh, like I don't want to be yeah. around you, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Olivia Coleman, her performance is one of the greatest I've ever seen uh, in anything. Where does it stand in the pantheon of Olivia Coleman performances? I think it's her best performance. Okay, you would say it's better than the favorite because I'd I say would. that's probably her one, the one competition. Yeah, that's the the biggest competition, but I think this surpasses. Okay. Uh, the favorite exclusively for that scene, no. or because of how she? Because she's she's a very she's very timid. And she I think is. that's naturally something that Olivia Coleman can tap into. But there's something but... that, obviously because of what she's going through as well, you just want to look after that character. Yeah. It's it's one of the most sympathetic characters I've ever seen in anything. Yeah. Where you just love her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I also loved her in Hot Fuzz, not going to lie. <laughs> okay, maybe that's her greatest performance. <laughs> yeah. Who said anything about murder? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love a bit of girl on girl. <laughs> uh, Eddie Marzan um, is vile. Yes. In the film. What a wonderful um, actor. He's a wonderful actor. And I think that was the first thing I saw him in. Oh, okay. Um, to the point where it was g- genuinely difficult to see him in anything after it. Okay. Um, I think the thing I saw after it was The World's End, where he's playing kind of the lovable... It's interesting because it's the other way around for me, where... Oh, really? I saw The World's End first, okay. and obviously he's very... He's kind of pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's... He's pathetic in Tyrannosaurus. He's path- well. It's a different type of pathetic, it is. though, isn't it? Yeah. Like, in the first fight scene in The World's End, he's, like, cowering and, like, trying to hide in the bathroom stalls. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then seeing him in Tyrannosaurus, like, no. No, yeah. I don't like that. You're you're too nice to be this when horrible. When did uh, Sherlock come out? Because isn't he in that? He is, yeah. But I don't think... Like, I didn't have any... When I first saw Sherlock... I don't have any idea who he was, you know. Yeah. Like, I was saying because I feel like I've seen him in English, f- very English films. Okay. Well, I think technically the first one I would have seen him in is um, Mission Impossible Three. He, he's one of like the un, you know, 
random henchman. I'm, I'm yeah. going gonna to look up his filmography yeah. while we're doing this. Most okay. recent thing he's been in is Hobbs and Shaw, where he's played a Russian scientist. No, he's in The Gentleman. Oh, he's in The Gentleman. Film. Okay. Yes, he, I saw yeah. the trailer for yeah. the other day. But I was saying, because Hobbs and Shaw is obviously terrible. Yeah. But I don't know. When I saw him in that, oh, I was kind of like, oh, good me. for you. He's one of those. I mean, his, his best performance is probably in a film called Happy Go Lucky. Okay. Where he just plays this kind of foul mouthed, enraged. Um, he teaches people how to drive. Okay. I don't. Um, I see. It's Mike Lee, and he's fucking like it's all the time. I fucking hate you, and he's great. In it. <laughs> um, it's quite Mike Lee-ish. I would say it's got Mike Lee shades, Tyrannosaur. Well, I was gonna say it's because it's Paddy, was it Paddy Considine's directorial debut? Yeah, he directed the short film. Yeah, it was the short film that won uh, the Oscar. On which it uh, BAFTA. BAFTA. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, called Dog Altogether because this is based on a short film that he directed. Yeah. Um, the the uh, the short film ends at Joseph being invited into the charity shop. And it's kind of baffling in retrospect how it wasn't always a feature. Yeah, you know how did it not always watching have that, structure that short as well because it's it's clearly a very low budget short. Very, yeah. Um, like it's all natural lighting. I don't think the image was altered at all in post. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell like the audio as well. It's not like terrible audio, but it's clearly like the audio they had at the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the fact that it sort of became this, it's mm-hmm. it's baffling. Yeah, I mean, you know. <sighs> Joseph is, I mean, quite unlikable at the beginning, certainly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, other than kicking the dog, he's racist, you know. But he's sort of, he's, I think those isn't the rate, you know, the fact he's racist, it's, it doesn't go deep. It's just like he's dicking around and he knows he's, he's doing it just to be provocative. Hmm. He, he is, but yeah. again, I also put that down to he's part of that generation. He is, but I think he just wants someone to punch him in the face. Yeah. I think that's basically what that character is. Um, I was say when you were talking about Mike Lee, were you talking about just Eddie Malzahn or the film in general? Sorry, the film in general. Film in general. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's got Mike Lee shades to it. Yeah. About kind of broken British weirdos, you know. Yeah. Um, to make Joseph seem kind of almost saintly in comparison, the film puts a lot of satellite characters around him that are kind of incredibly despicable. <laughs> um, Eddie Malzahn being an example, the abusive neighbor, as we talked about. Um, I think part of the reason I like the film so much. Uh, is if it's going to get very personal, it's about domestic abuse. Yeah, that's an issue that hits very close to home for me. Okay, especially considering the kid in the film is called Sam. Oh yes, <laughs> so yeah, kind of proper. Yeah, yeah, no, neither do I. Um, yes, there's that. Sort of a critique I have is that the abusive boyfriend is almost kind of archetypally evil, like he's utter just horrible you know I, I know there are people like that obviously mm-hmm. but he just swears and he's you know he makes Joseph seem nice basically he does I think maybe but maybe it needed to be that I was going to say when you compare him to Joseph yeah do you need a character that's like utter evil just to so that Joseph seems good by comparison you know? yeah I think so I mean like I said compared to the boyfriend he is a saint yeah there's almost like a superhero quality to Joseph as well because he basically wears the same thing for the whole film yeah and then he ends up in the film zone to him saving the day, mm. which is by killing another dog, basically. But again, mm. again, it's kind of this horrible, it's almost like a religious duty at that point. He sees it, it's like a samurai thing, you know? It's yeah. weird. I well, love... We made the, the Western comparison with Calvary, didn't we? Yeah. Where the priest robes are sort of the stand-in for the cowboy outfit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, say talk, talking about the boy, like the boyfriend, you say obviously like it hitting like close to home. Yeah. I mean, without going into too much detail, reminds me of someone who I used to know, right? Um, who 
took a very strong dislike to me as it were and i mean i i you know i knew exactly what he was like with his other half but Mm -hmm. you know when i watched that it reminded me immediately of him it was the first thing i thought of Mm -hmm. was like oh yeah i remember that guy yeah um and was that what did that do to you did it sort of like did it help um cement the believability of that character or was it sort of like cathartic to watch what happens to him like how did him remind I mean, him I mean, it was quite quite <laughs> sounds like quite nice seeing him to get some just desserts yeah the music i love there are two songs in particular that are, that are used in the film that will make me cry regardless of their use in the film hmm. one is sing all our cares away by damien dempsey and the other one is we were wasted which is the song that is at the end of the film yeah Mm. Yeah, the, yeah, the no, tearjerkers yeah, get me both times. Do they make you cry outside of watching? The outside film? of the film, okay. Even outside, but especially in the that's film. a good sign, isn't it? It is a very good sign. Well, yeah. that's disgusting. I suppose it's a good sign. <laughs> what do I cry? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, just the fact that the song makes you cry. You know. Oh right, okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I've seen you cry, but not many okay. Oh yeah, not okay. not the fact that it I makes mean, you, you specifically. Cry. Yeah, no, I have seen you. Cry. I have seen you cry. Yeah. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, okay, it's a. <laughs> We'll talk, talk about me more, crying on yeah, other podcasts. Yeah, talk more about how you cry, Sam. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's Tears the, emerge from my eyes. It's what the people want to know. Yeah. Can are you, you feel? Are you an ugly crier, Sam? I don't know, actually. I, I tend not to look at myself in the mirror when I sob. <laughs> oh, um, you're missing a trick. <laughs> anyway. Sam so sorts me right to... <laughs> out when I look at myself. It's a platonic love story, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yes. it, the film never goes to the obvious... It's about these two people who are soulmates, but not romantically. Yeah. And I definitely relate to that idea as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, and like I said, the film, it's not big on catharsis. It, it kind of avoids the obvious in terms of you expect, oh, Joseph's going to, he's an angry man. He's going to find out that Hannah's being abused and yeah. he's going to go kill Eddie Marzan. Yeah. That's not what happens. She does it. And you don't even get the vicarious thrill of seeing it happen. No. You know it, what no, I mean? yeah. It's, it's yeah. an utter it, surprise. It was, a yeah. Good, it was a good twist. It's a good twist. And it's like, it's it's a well behaved film. Like we're not going to give you what you want in terms of seeing him, yeah, being torn him from limb, which I would have been okay with, obviously. I would yes. say because you don't you don't see that you don't see what he does to her. You like, see no. you see the start of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You see yeah. you see him hitting her in the start of it. Yeah, but you don't get any more than that. No, which I mean, it's, it's a general rule thing of less is more. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. and it's yeah. a perfect example of you. You didn't need to see no, it. No, if you if you saw most of the stuff that Olivia Coleman describes, if you actually saw that, it yeah, would have it been would be like... purely ex exploitative. Yeah. and just yeah. too much. And yeah, yeah no, and it would no, have been no. in, indulging in violence. It would have been almost yeah. not yeah. not endorsing it, but almost kind of like uh, fetish fetishizing. It yes, a that bit. was. Yeah. yeah, I was trying. That was the word I was trying to think of. Yeah. Yes, it would be. Yeah. yeah, you see as much as you need to see. Yes. Yeah. And I've re- I realised, like, going back to it this most recent time, how much it's a film of looks. Just people looking at each other or yeah. looking into the distance in a certain way. The look when she goes out drinking because she doesn't want to go home. Mm. And then she goes home. She basically insults him, storms off to the bedroom, sits down. And you just see this look come over her like she's been punched in the stomach. Yeah. And like, oh, I, I know this just certainty of doom. Mm. And she gets up and then it happens. Yeah. That's one of the moments. There's a moment where uh, Joseph has a friend who's dying and he asks Hannah, because she, she's very Christian, to go pray uh, for his friend. Mm. And then the camera just kind of closes on Joseph looking at her. And it's just such a subtle thing. But it basically just like, it's him realising this woman is like incredibly special. Yes. 
Um, that's one of the moments. There's uh, a moment where Eddie Marzan um, uh, kind of apologizes to Hannah, like mm-hmm. after he's just, I'm not sure if he's hit her, but he comes in sobbing saying, oh, I, I didn't used to be like, which is typical. I didn't used to be like this, you know, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry. And then she's like comforting him. Yeah. And she, this look of utter, like disgust on her face, like this fucking, yeah. I hate I, this I really like that particular moment. Yeah. Because obviously, I mean, I mean, as I say, without without going into details, I've known people, I know people, yeah. go through, and when, in in every situation, when the, the guys come in and it's like, oh, I'm not like this, and you know that, but there is a very much belief that that is sincere, and it was really nice to see. Yeah, she just wasn't just, buying it. She's, she wasn't buying it. It was clear bullshit. Yeah. And it was like, good. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a deleted scene um, where it shows James, the husband. Um, he's a real estate agent. And he's showing around two women run a house. And they, they just kind of walk over him. They don't really care what he has to say. And he's emasculated. Yeah. Then they leave. And he just kind of, he leans into the wall. And he just like whacks his head against the wall. And that was it. And I took it out, and I think that was a very wise choice. Yeah, I know why it was there. It was contextualizing him. Yeah, but it's it's almost like for, not forgiving him, but it's kind of justifying. No, yeah, yeah, yeah sort yeah. of, sort yeah. of. Like I, I get it. Like we get who these men are. Yeah. I don't need to see him being emasculated to you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, my big critique of the film is that Hannah is a Christian. Obviously, mm-hmm. the idea is quite trite, and it's a bit obvious considering what how unobvious the rest of the film is but it becomes clear that it's just kind of a safety net she's christian just to have something basically okay um it's not pure surface but in the charity shop where she works there's a picture of jesus hanging above you know where she works and then when it becomes clear that eddie marzan's gonna basically well try and kill her she kind of sobs and and looks at the picture and goes like who are you looking at and throws some of the picture and it kind of hangs lopsided and I know because I hear, listened to the commentary that was an accident mm. but it feels a bit too much a bit too heavy handed okay I like have the picture of Jesus be lopsided it's like yeah, yeah. too much for a film that isn't dealing in obviousness okay yeah um, that. yes that's my big and also she says things like God loves you you're a child of God a bit too cliche a bit too easy do you know okay. what I mean uh, yeah I just kind of want to well so Paddy Constantine's next film was what well, I can't remember it's called now it's a boxing uh, Journeyman. Movie. Journeyman. Yeah. That was such a massive disappointment. Yeah. And I think that the strength of Tyrannosaur makes it even more of a disappointment. Yeah, it's kind of the same with Dan Gilroy in a way. Yeah. Where it's sort of like, what happened to you? I d- I it's didn't... not bad, it's just bland. I was yeah. I didn't yeah. get all the way through Journeyman in the end. Yeah. But it, it's, 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 it's a weird thing of, I, I came away after watching Tyrannosaur and went, I was like, if I'd have watched them the other way around, I reckon I would have got through Journeyman. I'm like, all right. And yes. then I would have watched Tyrannosaur and Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it should have been... Tarantula should have been the sophomore effort. Yes. Yeah. Being, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just want to make the case that it's not a depressing film. <laughs> it's dark. It is bleak. Yeah. But it's not cynical. Okay. It's about that angry bloke in the pub finding salvation. Yeah. I will leave on that. Okay. I, You mentioned about rewatchability, Eddie. You said that was a major factor for you when deciding the films. It's also a major factor for me. I can't see myself revisiting Tyrannosaur on many an occasion. Not because the yeah. film is not rewatchable, just because it's such a, for the most part, you're put through such, you're put through the ringer emotionally. I get it's a, it's a difficult watch in that respect. Maybe I'm a bit of a masochist. I kind of, I, <laughs> I sort of like being put, emotionally being put through the ringer. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, because films like that do have a big rewatch value for me in a weird way. Okay. It's... So it it falls into a weird category for me, just Tyrannosaur. Mm. Um, but I do think it's a really good film. I really yeah, do. Yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're going to get really sensitive about it, um, the film just inspires me. Like, not to write... That, there are films that I love that inspire me to want to go write something. Mm. Tyrannosaur is one of those films. It, the film genuinely inspires me. I know it might sound weird considering the stuff in it. Yeah. But because it is so allied with that feeling of my grandmother passing away and the film despite being bleak you know like when you're miserable you want to listen to miserable songs yeah like yeah. perversely you don't want to listen to happy songs to cheer you up yeah it was sort of the same of like pulling yourself through the misery of that film and the fact that it offers a light at the end of the tunnel I do I find that personally very inspiring gay <laughs> <laughs> um, I, would, I, I would say in terms of just throwing a music spin into that right um I have a like a playlist. When I first started doing that, like putting that together, it had the song "Let It Go" from Frozen on it. All right, okay. Now, not for the point of what most people would assume it was on there of, mm. you know, "Let It Go," because when I'm in like a bad mood, if I want to be like frustrated and you know, I want to get through that, I want to have like the the songs that where I, I can mm. be pissed off things like that. That song wound me up so much. <laughs> that it was great to get anger out too, <laughs> and it, okay. I, I know it's, it sounds probably you know because yeah, it's, yeah. it's a fairly like light song, yeah. But because it was like re- uh, re- repetitive things, it, it would wind me up and it would get frustration out. That's interesting, because I am now if I'm upset, I guess I I, I also listen to angry songs because mm. as Damon Lindelof is fond of saying. Uh, anger is like when, whenever you're angry, you're actually just sad, basically. Mm. So I just I oh, I'm sad. At I <laughs> I unhealthily decide to turn it into anger instead of being sad. Okay, and get out that way. But I've never heard someone listening to music that like they dislike, so it irritates them. <laughs> That's interesting. Like I listen to songs that yeah, I I like them on some level. Like they might be adolescent. I would say, well, I liked it when it came out. Right, I did, I did okay. like the song when it came yeah. out. But there was something about it after a time of like it. it I would hear it and I'd be like, "No, I don't want to fucking let it go." Like <laughs> it was that is demanding, isn't it? Yeah, let it go. You fucking let it go. You yeah, fucking bitch. <laughs> no, but exactly. But that was the thing is it would it would work me up and it was in the play like the playlist was in an or, like certain order when I was doing it originally. Yeah. That it it would help like sort of work up the anger okay. and then I would get past it and calm down. Yeah, and I get to those sort of songs. So actually, you know. I know it's a weird tangent, but it you know yeah. that worked quite well for me. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, right, to, I'd cap it off with saying Tyrannosaur Light Calvary, I think, is the film you're not going to be seeing on many best of the decade lists. Mm. So, in a way, again, I recommend that more than I would other films. Okay. Yeah. All right. Eddie. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> music. music. It's going to be music now. So number four for me um, is Inside Blue and Dave. Ooh, okay. Now I, w- I will stipulate, since I decided on what the top four were, this order's changed an astronomical amount of time. Yeah, yes. Inside Lewin Davis was initially a lot higher for you, wasn't it? Inside Lewin Davis was, was originally that was the film that was my number one. Okay. Now I will go into the plot in a second. 
one of the reasons it, it went it sort of fell down the list because it's a lit in my opinion it's a little bit bleak okay and so when oh, it came okay. when it came to like as i say because rewatchability was something of a, an important factor for me but because the other films i suppose there was just something more rewatchable about them for me yeah it ended up that when i came to working this sort of top five out completely mm-hmm. it wasn't going to end up above those three okay, okay. Um, well, perhaps what's it about? Yeah, you so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It's, so, yeah. Um, so Inside Lewin Davis is a story set in. It's, it's set in the early sixties. Mm-hmm. Then it follows. It follows Lewin Davis, who is a what? a folk singer. Yep. It's kind of against. Well, certainly by the end of it, it's against the backdrop of Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and essentially, it follows him and the life in the week of him. Um, life in the week. A week in the life. <laughs> All right, it's late. <laughs> it is late. Um, sorry. Yeah, a, a week in the life for him. Um, so you see the sort of place he plays at regularly. The place, you know, he's kipping on people's couches. Yeah. Um, he's a struggling musician. He used to have a partner. Eventually, you find out what happened to their partner. Mm-hmm. That where he ends up like going to a recording space in a different part of America mm-hmm. because he he'd hoped that his record was going to shift out there. Essentially, gets told he's not going to make it as a yeah. Singer mm. comes back and he has a, what is a fairly good performance at the end of it. Yeah, and then the next person on after him is Bob Dylan. <laughs> well, that's the thing—you get the sense of he he just missed out on being Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, the fact they played on the—he was the unlucky bastard that played the same night that Bob Dylan played. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? It's yeah. I um, I do have a quick question before we carry on with this discussion. Yes, I'm because the the type of music he plays, he's a he's an indie sort of he's acoustic, folk. He's folk. Yeah, it's sort of a man singing with an acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah. I'm completely tone deaf when it comes to that type of music. Oh, yeah. So you're going to have to tell me whether his music is actually good or not. Uh, some of it is, some of it isn't. Yes. I mean, like his own music is good. Okay, like his songs. Because I assume when he those does, songs like, were composed. Space, like those are oh, novelty, terrible records. That's great. I know, I know that was the that, yeah, yeah, yeah. hands down one of the best bit of the film though. Oh, it is. Yeah, I remember. Like, <laughs> yeah, because yes, yeah. I remember because I hadn't seen the film until Eddie had suggested it. Yeah. put it on his list. And you've like done that before. Well, you've out kind of, of space. yeah, out, out of, of space. space. And I've okay. never known what it's from, but I've never had the courage to ask you. And now I finally know. You've had the courage to ask. <laughs> so it wasn't quite that. It was just okay. like I assume it's like a reference I don't remember. But okay. no, I'd never, I'd never seen this. Yeah, that's there's origin. something really uh, early Adam Driver as well. Early yeah. Adam Driver. <laughs> it's only 2013, but yeah, it is, it is isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's he's very... been through an entire franchise. And... I think that was the first thing I saw him in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, no, but yeah, I think that's one of his earlier things. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, not for me. I yeah, yeah, not for you. Yeah, yeah. it's it, that song. Yeah, it, I mean, it is meant to be a terrible, like space sixties kind of song. Yeah. I don't know. I was singing along by the end. Of no, it. the same because it's a novelty tune. Do you know what I mean it's yeah. got? But I do like it a lot. The, like yeah. the, the thing, Adam Driver is what makes it. Yeah. But like, obviously, the outer space is obvious. But for me, it's the oh oh. I love that. <laughs> Please, oh, Mister oh, yeah. Kennedy. Yeah. Oh oh, that's oh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because I didn't know. Hey, Mister Kennedy. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. Because obviously, whether his music is actually good or not, I feel is kind of important to the film. Because you need to know whether he's just a guy who's unlucky or whether he's delusional. You know? No, and I, I didn't this know. This is the thing. Tell. With some of it, you get the sense of he's obviously. So the title of the film comes from the debut album he's done as a solo artist. Yeah, yeah. he used to have a partner. Again, good title. Cause I it, think cause it's, it's double meaning. I think it's inspired by a musician called Dave Van Ronk. I feel. Uh, yes. Yeah. 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 It is. Um, as I say. 
certainly i think if he had the partner mm-hmm. I th- there it's it's definitely sort of believable that that would have found success as a duo yeah uh, and there's also I, the idea like we're talking about him existing in the shadow of bob dylan and also they've called him Thawin davis yeah, yeah. Dylan being a Welsh name. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he's just almost. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so certainly with the duo, there's a chance that that could have happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I don't know why I'm skirting around around saying what happened to the partner. It's up to you. It's up Um, to how much you want to spoil it, I suppose. It's your discussion we're having at the moment. uh, The partner jumps off a bridge and kills himself. Okay. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah. Um, So obviously he's kind of affected by that. And that's sort of part Mm -hmm. of, you know, the character. He's a kind of a like weird character, obviously. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I will highlight is there is in my head there is always a brilliant image of him and the cat. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know he's a, fo- a folk singer with a cat. A cat that mean that whose meaning may not be strictly literal. Like there's a whole Greek thing going on in that. Film. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. the cat is called what's the cat called? It's not Ulysses, is it? Yeah, Ulysses. Oh, it is Ulysses. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because it's the cat of a philosophy professor. Yeah, who, whose couch he stays on. Who, yeah. Whose couch yeah. he stays on, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, you talk about that being a great image. For me, there's like a moment, there's an image, like a shot in the film, just completely like legitimizes that world for me. And that's when Oscar Isaac, who plays uh, Theron Davis, yep. is staying, he's crashing on Adam Driver's couch for a night, and he's just been given all of his records from the record companies with because they can't keep them in their archives anymore. Yeah, yeah. And he goes to put them under a table, and then there's something stopping him. So he looks under the table, and all of Adam Driver's records are in the same box under that table. Yeah. And in that moment, it's just like, right, that's completely... Yeah. That's yeah, a yeah. brilliant image. Yeah, It is. It's a, and it's a very imagistic film in that way. Yeah. It's very... Yeah. The cinematography is amazing. It, you feel cold watching it. I was yeah. initially worried yeah. because the Coens have... Obviously, it's a Coen Brothers film, and they yeah. always have fantastic cinematography. Mm-hmm. But, but their they, films are usually a lot... Um, warmer? Yeah, and can they have like te- they tend to have like starker color palettes. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Fargo, which is a very cold film because yeah. it's set in the snow, it's very like high contrast yeah. because you've got snow against like blood, blood yeah. and yeah, everyone kind of wears like darker clothing. Whereas this, it was kind of a very desaturated. It just, it just feels grey to me. Yeah, it's almost you, it's such a grey film. It's lifeless. Yeah, yeah. it's so yeah. desaturated, but, and I was initially very worried, but I, it for me still that looks gorgeous. Okay, yeah. for me that plays into its because. It does come across as you say, as you say, as a lifeless film. Yeah, and he—that is kind of him. Yeah, well, he's kind of a bum. Like you, you're sort of not really sure how much of a douchebag he is. Yeah, because other characters treat him like, especially Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, like she yes. calls him an arsehole at any I, given opportunity. Yes, yes, and I will say, I think Star turned from her as well. Yeah, she's great in it. Yeah, she's yeah. great. Justin Timberlake. Yeah, they're like, all great. I mean, I say Justin Timberlake's—he's on and off for me as an actor. Yeah, same. Uh, we'll get into another performance of his at some point. We will, <laughs> but in this, it's, it's it's probably one of the better things I think he's done. Yeah, you know, okay. well directed. I think they've got that Cohen yeah. thing of the the supporting characters are really they, they just have those ticks. Mm. The Coens have a they they have a weirdly great observational skill about like how to make a character feel really rich and layered. I can't remember what video essay I saw because I'm li- I'm lifting this point from a video essay. Okay, but it was I think it was about. Oh, it might have been um, Every Frame of Painting's video on the oh, right. Uh But he says, they just, like, their production design and everything that they do, they always manage to tell you exactly who that character is in a single moment. Yeah, like... They yeah. highlight, like, a character... There's, like, a, a female... I can't... I think she's from No Country for Old Men. She's, like, a shopkeeper or something. Right. Or she's sitting at a desk, and there's all these, like, 
knickknacks behind her desk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that moment, you just know exactly who that person yes. is. You know. Mm. Yeah, and like in Lowen Davis, the one that springs to mind is the soldier that's just slurping the cereal. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like oh, okay, he's well-meaning and like a, he's a fair-haired child, but he's fucking annoying. Yeah, uh, yeah, but like with Lowndes, you're never quite sure. Is he a dick? I think he's a dick. You, you're yeah. never quite, you know. Um, I, I, I mean, as we've gone full spoiler anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he he sleeps with Carrie Mulligan's character. Yes. yes. Who is to get with Justin Timberlake's character? Yeah, yeah. And there is a whole subplot which involves the fact that she is pregnant, possibly with his child, possibly with Justin Timberlake. But they, <laughs> As unceremoniously they... just going to abort her, like she doesn't even. Oh yeah, yeah. she, she says no she can't. That. She can't test because she doesn't want it if it's Lowen Davis' baby. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I can't prove it, so I'm just gonna have to get rid of yeah. it. But yeah, but she but... has a go in him for it. She's like, <laughs> I know, I might be giving up a genuinely good baby because of you. <laughs> you yeah. bastard! Fuck it out. Yeah, like yeah, she she blames him fully for the fact that those two had sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, that, I, yeah. and then you find yeah. out later in the film that. You know, she fucking she gives it around. Yeah, she gets. That's the thing. It's unclear, like, because the film it's a loop, isn't it? The, like, it it starts with the scene from the it very start, end of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so it starts with him playing outside and getting beaten up. Yeah, by a, um, by someone's other half. Yeah, who which we don't know initially. We which we don't know initially. Yeah, just a random yeah. bloke's beating him up. Yeah. And then yeah, the, the film ends with that scene. He he, he insults another singer. Yeah. And then her, her husband beats the shit out of him. Yeah. Yeah. It is a, it is the same thing, but it is a mirror. It's not quite the same. Situation. Yeah, see, this is the thing. Like the film, it is like a. I think part of the reason it feels so stark and lifeless is this is his existence in a loop. Yeah, yeah. Like this is basically his life. He, there's a, there's a hint of maybe success down the road. He's rejected and he goes back, and that is every week, every month of his yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, I love the scene with F. Murray Abraham where he finally makes it to the big yeah. audition scene. And he plays his heart out, and whether you like the song or not, like you can clearly tell it's very emotional, intense. Yeah. He's giving yeah. himself to it, and it's sung very beautifully and everything. And then the guy just says, "I don't think there's a lot of money in this." Yeah, and just tells him to fuck off, basically. Yeah. And it's yeah. great. You know, yeah, it's a film about like yeah. almost yeah. making it. You know, yeah, it could be called Almost Famous. Um, were they not? Were they not a film? Yeah. Famous? yeah. Again, I think it's quite a tight script. Yep. As um, ever. Well, it, it's yeah. Generally speaking, the Coen Brothers. Are very well done. Generally yeah. speaking, yeah. Um, there are obviously a few, a few stinkers. Uh, yeah. Uh, usually ones where they haven't directed it as well. I think is. Oh yeah, is if they it, haven't directed it. It's almost reliably bad. Yeah. yeah. Except Bridge of Spies. Yeah. Um, Suburbicon. Suburbicon. Um, Gambit. Yeah. 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 Yes, and like they've done a few. Like the the Lady Killers is, is quite bad. They remake of that. Burn oh, After Reading is Yeah, quite... oh, I absolutely hate that. <laughs> yeah, Burn After Reading is quite insubstantial. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's no, funny, it's okay. I, no, I've got a, I, I've got a real okay. soft spot for Burn After Reading. But like, reading. On, after No Country for Old Men. Yeah. yeah it's all... they, oh, yeah, they, yeah. They no, there's tendency... no comparison. No, they had a tendency to do that in the noughties, and in the 90s, actually. Make a really substantial film, and then make trash, really. Yeah. Um, yeah no, some, but... of, some of that trash is The Big Lebowski. Yes. <laughs> which, which is great. Yeah. But they make a Fargo, then they do a Big Lebowski. They make Miller's Crossing. I would say I prefer the Big Lebowski over Fargo. I'm not going to lie. Oh, you're wrong there. But still. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, he's yeah. not. But, you know, no, you, that's you... not to say you dislike Fargo. Oh, obviously. no, no, no. I love, I absolutely love Fargo. Yeah. Yes. But for me, I, I, I have Big, Big Lebowski makes it into like my top 10 all-time films. All opinions, correct and incorrect, are welcome on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just sounds way of... Jedi just going, nah, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, Shut you're the wrong. fuck up, yeah. man. Yeah. Um. Uh. <laughs> uh, no, I was, yeah. Burn, yeah, burn after reading. Um, 
I've I've tried to I try to love that film. I can't quite do it, but I like yeah. the idea of that film. That final scene, I think, is a great final scene. It is. We're yeah. just kind of like, well, we learned nothing. Fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. Yeah. We've learned nothing from this. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, but yeah, Inside Lowen Davis, I think because of its atmosphere, it's a film that I admire the fuck out of. Yeah. But I can't love it. Yes. Because of the dis- the alienation. Yeah. The detachment. I also think, I mean, it's still a great film unto itself, but they yeah. do. Um, when Lowen Davis sings, he sings. Mm-hmm. They don't cut away from it, they don't shorten it. You're there for the musical number, and it's Oscar Isaac, and it's Oscar Isaac. Yeah, and he's know? yeah, he's legitimately singing. Which is legitimately a, I think singing. I think you can't do anything else. I think it's a complete. I don't even know what to call it. When you get an actor and then you dub them over with the singer, that's nothing. Yeah. Even if the actor is like um in Bohemian Rhapsody when yeah. Ronnie playing Freddie. Okay, fine. It's difficult to sound like Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Don't do it then. Like yeah, the, what's the actor point? has to sing. Yeah. I yeah. think that's the rule. Yeah. yeah. Well, I th- I think it's the one thing with Rocket Man. Taron Egerton yeah. does a weirdly good job. He does. He does. And even if he didn't sound like him, at least he's singing the song. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. I want to bring up the, the middle of the film. I think it's okay. the middle of the film. It's when he goes on the road trip with... Yeah, with John Goodman. John Goodman and yeah. that other bloke. Garrett Headland. Garrett Headland. That initially concerned me. Not concerned me, but I was sort of like, oh, this is a different film now. Right. Which, you know, I trust the Coens when they do things like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I don't know... I was worried that we were basic because I didn't think we were ever going to go back to New York. So I thought, oh, that film, that part of the film's over now, and we're with this new batch of characters. Okay. And that made me feel a bit. That took me out of it slightly. Right. Obviously, um, you find out where they're going, and then you know you end up with that scene with F. Murray Abraham, mm-hmm. and then we go back to New York. So it sort of like, but it is it does sort of feel like an interlude in the story almost. That they're going on this long road trip, and there are yeah. these two characters that don't show up anywhere else in the film, and nothing, no part of it really feeds into the rest of it. But it's kind of, it's one of those the, the Coens they have that thing of of making you doubt what's real. I don't know if you had that, like Inside Lowen Davis, none of it could be real. Gen- you you get that vibe, I think. Okay, yeah, honestly, I, no, like, I, I know what you're saying. This could be, I don't know. There's a weird surre- surreality to it. Yeah, the fact he sees the cat on the drive back and it's kind of, is this, re- is it the same yeah. cat? Is it real? Yeah. Obviously, they've got a thing with Greek legend, like, oh, brother, where art thou is the yes. Odyssey rewritten, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I love it. Yeah, so to me, like, the fact that it's... Like, that road trip and when they're in the big, like, the service station... Yeah. ...doesn't feel real to me. Okay. I mean, I think that that's the atmosphere the film conjures. Yeah. But I, I always... I love that quality about this stuff. And the fact that, yeah, it sort of becomes a different film, I think that's part of being the kind of bum folk singer. Yeah. No one sticks around for too long, and yeah. so it's kind of he's a wanderer. He meets these new people. He hitchhikes here. He hitchhikes there. You know. Yeah. Mm. So I didn't have a problem this with this thing. John Goodman. Yes. Yeah. A Cohen regular. Yes. He is. He is a Cohen regular, which is the reason I that I feel like it's the only reason he's in this film. <laughs> Did you not like him in the film? I, it's my. It's like that's my 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 main criticism I have. Okay. Is for me that part probably could have been played by anyone. Right. And I was just like. The, you know, if you're going to get someone like John Goodman in... You're saying he's underused? Yes. Okay, okay. I, I, and I, so, for like that reason, I kind of... It's like the one thing I come away with going, mm. Then again, um, when he's in the film, we're kind of stuck with him. We never get a break from him. No. If you were to, and again, if, unrelenting. And... Yeah, if you were to put him in... If you were to integrate him into the story back in New York, we wouldn't see much of him anyway, because Lewin doesn't really stick around with people for that long. 
does he? Like, no. Carrie Mulligan only has, like, a couple of scenes. Really. I feel like it's almost kind of doing the film a disservice to talk about the, the plot machinations. It's almost the plot doesn't matter almost. No, no, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it, oh, it's not a film that concerns that... itself with structure or anything like No, that. yeah. yeah. I think that's, you know, it's... it's As it's, embodied because... by, that central, by that road trip scene. Where it's yeah. like, oh, this is just a different it's film. It's meandering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a week in, it's a week in the life. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just something that happens, you know. Yeah. He manages to get a ride to where he wants to go. A week in the life, and the week is the life, I would say, right? Yeah. 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 As you say, is he's like teetering on the edge, and it doesn't really feel like he's, he's going to get any better. No, he'll probably. Um, he'll peter out. He'll just. He'll, yeah, you'll fade, fade away. Yeah. You, you won't burn out. Yes. Um, better to better burn, burn out. Yeah, that was waiting fade for one away. of us to do it. Um, anything else to say, lads? Nope, that's all I got I on Lowndes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's I, a very sparse film. There's almost like not that much to talk about in a way because the film is like a mood board. Mm. Uh, watch it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I will always recommend the Coen Brothers. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even they're they're weaker. Like I, I really like the film, but I would still call it one of their overall one of their weaker offerings. And I would still, you know, recommend it more than most films that year. Mm. Yeah. All right. Sure. Okay. To me. So my number four is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Say it properly, George, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, I it, can't. It's Spooderman. Spooderman, yes, sorry. <laughs> Let's not do this. No, Let's sorry. Let's not I, put me through this. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm only doing it the once, just okay. for the sake of having fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. It's genuinely difficult now, because I've called him is Spider-Man it? for so long. Okay. It's, it's, it's actually getting hard. Okay. Um... Yes, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yes, so Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is its own continuity. And Sony, um, of course, they tried to do the Amazing Spider-Man universe. They're trying to do the Venom universe as well, both of which have been rather poorly received. So I think this was Sony's like final, like, okay, let's let's really like try and pull something uh-huh. out of the bag now. So this is, an, uh, this is an animated film from their animated studio, and it's about Miles Morales... Who is a Spider-Man from the comics? Spider-Man. A Spider-Man from the comics, but in mainstream, at least in mainstream cinema, certainly not in like mainstream cartoons and whatnot. Right. This is kind of his first major appearance, uh-huh. I think. Because um, I know in the comic books he's sort of like the second Peter Parker. Yeah, I think. yeah. So I say second, second Spider-Man. Yeah, know, second proper Spider-Man. And it's basically his origin story. It's sort of like you know, um, he sort of is given uh, the powers of the Spider-Man. Um, around about the time that Kingpin turns on this machine that sort of causes multiple dimensions to crash in on his own. So he sort of ends up joining forces slash being mentored by multiple Spider-Men from other dimensions as they try and stop Kingpin's ultimate plan. Um, it's from... It's not from Lord and Miller, it's from one of them. I can never remember which one. Uh, Lord. Lord. It's from Phil Lord and... He's Rodney... one of the writers, I believe. Yes, and I... Yeah. No, I think it was just Rodney Rothman who... No, there were three directors, right? I think they were, yeah, there were three, three or four directors. Okay. Yes. Rodney, Rodney, Rodney Rothman's definitely one because he, he also is. did the screenplay. Bob Pachetti. He's one, yeah. And the other one. And the other one. Sorry, the other one. Sorry for You carry on talking. I, I'll Google it because this is meant to be our top 10 of the decade. But probably <laughs> have some of this information to hand. Yes. Obviously, uh, I talked about Lego Movie in the last podcast. It was my number nine of the decade. Um, this is sort of like a. A spiritual successor in the sense that it feels kind of very similar tonally and in its humour and although I would an evolution. Say it's an evolution of it, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's why it ended up ranking slightly higher for me, is because Lego movie was kind of 
the progenitor of this type of... Sorry, go on. Peter Ramsey. There you go, Peter Ramsey. Yeah, uh, the Lego movie was sort of the progenitor of this kind of like, um, again, to bring up the idea that Lord and Miller do films about a property rather than the contents of that property. Mm. Um, go listen to our Lego movie discussion to sort of like, you know, I bring it up in more detail there. Yeah. Um, it's not as sort of, oh, I don't know. I don't know where I was going. <laughs> I had no idea what point I was going to make. I was okay. hoping it would arrive. It's a very good film. Yeah, it's a very, very good film. Like the Lego Movie, the animation is kind of the star of the show. Whereas the Lego Movie tries to mimic stop motion, um, like homemade uh, stop motion animation. Mm-hmm. This is directly trying to ape the look and style and energy of comic books. And I think it pulls it off marvelously. Marvelously. The Lego Movie. Pun intended. Yes. Uh, the Lego Movie. <laughs> the sheer disappointment. Yeah. Again, uh, harking back to our conversation on the last podcast. Um, the animation is exhausting for me. Okay. In Spider-Man, it's exhaustive. Explain. Uh, well, so the Lego movie, as I said, by the third act, I'm sort of full. Yeah. Whereas at the end of, the very end of Spider-Verse, you feel sated. Like, ah, I'm I'm nice and I've had my meal now. Yes, okay. Um, and by exhaustive, I mean, I don't know what more they could possibly have done. To, to make the thing look and feel... Yeah, with the exception yeah. of more styles of animation. Yeah, which would I, have been too much. Which would have been yeah. way too much. Because, yes, there are multiple Spider-Men, two of which... No, three of which. Three of which kind of ape different animation styles. So you, yeah. have, a, you have an Asian version of Spider-Man who is sort of very deliberately... Her like, movements and everything are, are supposed to be like very anime. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, then the sort of like n- uh, the noir 1930s Spider-Man, who's like he's completely black and white. Yeah, it's like it's like a newspaper. Cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it's called exactly, but yeah, it's kind of like yeah. newspaper style things. And then you've got a pig version uh-huh. of Spider-Man, where it's uh, aping the Looney Tunes. Yes. So it, they they're not just like they're not just different characters; they're completely different styles of animation. And yeah. I think I think it's enough, especially since those three characters very much play supporting roles. They're not main yeah. features of the plot. Yeah, they're not important to the story. No, but it's nice no. that they're there. But yeah, I can't imagine a film like Lego Batman, for example, where it pulls in like loads of villains from all these different properties. You know? Yeah, no, it's an embarrassment of riches. It really like Spider Verse. It is. It, it feels very. Oh, I don't deserve as much this much that you're giving me. Yeah, Jeremy, you've you've worked too hard. Almost. Yes, yeah. Are they doing a sequel? They are. Yes. I don't know of who, though. I can't... Gwen, I think there was talks about... It was Gwen and Noir were like the two major ones. You'd assume that Spider-Gwen would be back. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see a Spider-Ham film. (laughs) He's my favourite of the... uh... Okay. I love Spider-Ham. You two two are going to disagree. We are. I'm kind of... I am just kind of indifferent to Spider-Ham. It just... Okay. Okay. He was there. there. What about um, about Noir, Spider-Man? I'd watch that. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not saying I want to... No, I am actually. I am saying I'd rather see a film about Spider Ham. I don't know. Just <laughs> you, yeah, you literally just said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. Um, it's late. Yeah. As Eddie has said. Yes. Uh, it's later now. Yes. Um, it's going to keep getting later. It's going to keep getting later. Time, you bitch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Just that I found him the most charming. I mean, Spider Gwen is just, you know, the woman. Yes. Let's face it. Okay. Uh, I, I like. I was saying, are you telling me you wouldn't? She's animated, dude. <laughs> I know I said I. Yeah, but she's uh, of age. I, I know I so said I'd, know, I'd, I'd, I'd fuck a Korean. That doesn't mean I'd fuck an anime character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> I have standards. I'm sorry, I didn't realise yeah. Didn't realise there was a stipulation. <laughs> yeah, I'd fuck a real woman, not a cartoon woman. Yeah. Which That's is- like my rule. <laughs> Um, Unfortunately, in the age of the internet, that is something you have to clarify. It is. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> it is. Character. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's find him the most charming. Okay. Out of, out of the bunch. Okay. I know you're, you're meant to like Nicolas Cage as one of the most. Yes. I don't like it when films do that, as we talked about. Okay. Um, I do, oh, I do like you know, him. Yeah. I do like him, but I don't find him as cool as the film wants me to find him. Is he supposed to be cool? Yeah, he's a bit like brooding and awesome. And... No, but I feel like in a way it's kind of like Lego Batman, where it's almost... Yeah, it's excessive to the point where it's making fun of that. Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah. That fucking, like, one of the first, like... That's always something that bothers me, is whenever I listen to, like, audience reactions and stuff. Mm. There's the moment where you see them all in the basement for the first time. And they right. kind of reveal themselves to yes. Gwen, Peter Parker, and Miles. And his coat is, like, billowing in the wind. Yeah. And Peter Parker goes, there's no wind in here, why is his coat blowing? Or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And everyone always laughs at that. Right. Whereas, I, whereas I feel like the the real joke is the line that follows from uh, Noir Spider-Man, which right. is, wherever I go, the wind follows and the wind smells like rain. Oh, I think they both, you know, they both laugh. Yeah, but I feel they? like that's kind of like... That's the bigger laugh. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that, it, it, stuff like that annoys me when if I feel like the broader stuff gets yes. bigger laughs than the actual, yeah. like, you yeah. know. Oh, but that's the joke. That's the constructed joke that they've, like, done for you. But that's what, you know, that separates us from the plebs, doesn't it? We get to enjoy that. Not everyone has to enjoy it on the same level. Yeah. It's okay. We, you know, we are just better than them. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you confirmed <laughs> that for me. Yeah. I was worried until this moment. Yeah. It's like Eddie and I were having a conversation the other day about, um, was it Parasite? And we were talking about how no one's going to watch that film. Yes. Yeah. I said to you, like, or at least that we have something that's ours. Like, you know, people, we can't make yes. people not be I, stupid. I, I was moaning about the fact that this year, 2019 will be remembered for one film. Yes. Yes, it will, yeah. Unfortunately, that, that um, modern classic. Yeah, Joker. Yes. Joker, um, Joker. It's not good. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> it's not good. But I will tell you what is good: Spider Verse. <laughs> Touche. Um, yes, I've got a few points. Okay. It's um, <laughs> it's diverse without drawing attention to it. That was actually one of my points. Yeah. That it does diversity right. It does. Mm-hmm. I was initially worried because in the sort of the marketing campaign building up to this film, mm-hmm. they kept making a point of Miles being the first biracial superhero, mm-hmm. which is it's um, him. It's a weird sound. <laughs> which is him? It's um, <laughs> it's particularly. Well, no, I know why they did it. It's to it's to be like, oh, look at us. We're like progressive. Yeah, yeah, we're progressive and we're setting like a benchmark and stuff. But his father, who's black, mm-hmm. is like a major character in the film, mm-hmm. and his mother, who's Latina. There's barely a presence. Yeah. You see her in like maybe one or two scenes. She never has a scene on his own. She's not a part of the finale. She's kind of like off somewhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's weird that they kind of played up the biraciality when the the black side of Miles' family, his father and his uncle, play such a major role. And yet the Latina yeah. side never factors into I it. I think that's a marketing thing, isn't it? I mean, like, I've listened, I don't know if you have listened to the audio commentary for the film. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they mention it once. No, yeah. the, the diversity, the di- no. you know, no, and that's very much film. a feature of the studio. I mean, Amy Pascal, who like her logo shows up at the beginning, of the, the beginning of the film, Pascal mm. Pictures. She's like, I mean, she's responsible for Ghostbusters 2016. She's like really. She's also responsible for Little Women. She is, yes. Mm-hmm. She's kind of like um, Kathleen Kennedy in a sense that she's like really pushed, trying to push this like you know, um, feminism in you know that kind of cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, that kind of uh, and the film itself, it sort of never, apart from one moment, it yeah, never just that one moment, just yeah. that one moment. Yeah. Do you know the moment we're talking about, Eddie? No, it's when they're trying to break into the facility to get the like the secondary what's he call it goober, yeah, the secondary goober, and yeah, he's the MacGuffin, kind of, yeah. the MacGuffin, yeah, and yeah. he's like laying out, he's laying out the plan. And he says, oh, I've got to, like, you know, I've got to approach the head scientist. And it's like a picture of a man. And then a woman walks by. And you hear Miles saying, um, oh, the woman is actually the head scientist. And, and Peter Parker goes, okay, I've got to check my personal biases. Which is funny. It but is, but that's the only time you can... Yeah, that's like yeah. the one moment. It's like, yeah. oh, you didn't need that. You didn't need to do that. You know, that yeah. feels like... Is that your one critique? Yeah, I suppose. Okay. It's, it's, my, it's the one moment where that kind of veneer is pricked of, like, until, you know... Yeah. With the exception of maybe this, this is kind of a perfect example of how diversity in cinema should be done. Mm-hmm. I want to bring up Star Wars very briefly, if I may. You may. Um, specifically, I want to bring up Ray. I want to bring up Daisy Ridley's character. Because I feel like that's diversity done wrong. Or Mary Sue Skywalker. Yes, exactly. Um, because that character... Sorry? Do you want to explain Mary Sue? Oh, okay, because I mentioned Gary Stu on, um, when we were talking about Skyfall, and no one picked up on it. I assumed you... Is Gary Stu the male equivalent? Yes. Oh, I've heard that. Okay. I think that's uh, that's more recent than Mary Sue. I think okay. that's because yeah, yeah. a male equivalent was needed. Yes. You know, yeah. basically Mary Sue is sort of it used to be seen as like a self-insert character, mm-hmm. but I think it's basically become a term for a female character that is sort of deliberately like the most powerful force in the story. She's kind of like she's overpowered and everybody loves her and she's got no flaws whatsoever and there's no like bad qualities about her. Initially, it was because authors would kind of write themselves into the story and all of the characters would love them. Yeah. Whereas that kind of self-insert element has sort of gone in recent. Oh, okay. Because, okay. you know, there is debate about it, but I would definitely say, particularly in the last film, that Rey from Star Wars is a Mary Sue. And I don't 100%. know... I don't know what she would be a self-insert of, you know? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like, in Star Wars, as we say, particularly towards the end in the, in the Rise of Skywalker, she is, like the most powerful Jedi that has ever existed. And she's, you know, she's has all of these like abilities and everybody loves her. Like when they go to that planet and they meet, uh, Kerry Russell's character. doesn't matter. Don't tell me the name. I don't want to know. I don't know. Okay. Gonna be <laughs> uh, but she's like hostile. I haven't seen it. So I'm fucking mad. Okay. She's like immediately hostile towards Poe and she's going to kill them. And then Ray like overpowers her and Kerry Russell is immediately like, Oh, I really like you. Right. And oh things like God, that. Oh my God, you did a thing. Yeah. Um, and then you look at Miles in this film, and he's just a bitch. Like, he's, like, <laughs> constant. They do so much to kind of, like, give him something. that They show that he has something to overcome mm-hmm. by, becoming, by becoming Spider-Man. He wears that, like, shitty Spider-Man costume for, like, half the film. Yeah, he does. That's his Spider-Man costume. They do a really cool thing, and I love it when filmmakers, like, go into this much detail to kind of, like, bring out, like, aspects of the character. They animate him on twos. Do either of you know what that means? No. Okay. No, basically, basically, that means that in animation, when you animate on twos, you only animate a character. A character only moves every two frames. Right. So, say for example, you've got a film running at twenty-four frames per second. If you're animating on ones, that character is moving at twenty-four frames per second. If you're animating on twos, they're running at twelve frames per second. Right. Obviously, that makes the character far more choppy, and the movements are far more st- static and staccato and awkward. Most of the Spider-Man, the actual Spider-Man in the film, are animated on ones. Whereas Miles, until the moment where he sort of earns his Spider-Man-ness, he's animated on twos. So by comparison, he looks a far he looks far more jerky and uncomfortable. Uh, that makes sense, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and they yeah I'm, you're a particular fan of animation aren't you yeah i really yeah. i really like animation and i specifically love when animated films do things like that yeah and, then, and even live action filmmakers where they're like okay this is the these are the tools i have at my disposal how can i work this into the story how does the style um inform serve the, yeah, yeah exactly serve it wasn't just i mean it is a very fantastic style of animation and it's like the lego movie completely unique there's i don't think there's any film that looks like this no and, and you one of the, the the points i've got is you never get used to it but in the best way yes it's not like you never you can't quite adjust to it yeah it's just always kind of surprising you and you're like i'm i'm sort of following following this film yeah I'm not with it. You you sort of know what I mean? I'm not by its side. I'm always kind of like latching onto it. Yes. And that is re- really rewarding, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But yes, they do that to Miles. And then by, obviously by the end of the film, he becomes Spider-Man and he's mm. very capable and it feels like, ah, oh, you've earned this. You've overcome the difficulties. Whereas with Ray, it's just kind of like, oh, she's the most powerful and the bestest and you all love her now. Yeah. yeah the yeah. other thing I really like is in The Last Jedi, obviously the very end of The Last Jedi, they have that moment where the young kid has like a broom and he kind of holds it like a lightsaber. Yes. And the message of that film, the message you're supposed to come away with is anyone can be a Jedi. Which I like a lot. Yes. But in Rise of Skywalker, they completely go back on that where they go, no, Rey's the only Jedi. It's all, She's like, the most it's all like American politics. It's like, no, it has to just be dynasties and families and the same, the three same lineages yeah. used again and again and again. Yeah, yeah. Obama's wife is running for president. Clinton's wife is, you know, it's it's the yes. same again and again. It's like no, it should be any kid can become president. Yeah. Any kid become a, can become a Jedi. But yeah, that okay, was the... that's all run for twenty twenty four. Yeah, we can't because <laughs> we're not Americans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are limits. There are limitations. Um, yes. So they retract that from the Last Jedi. Yeah. Whereas Spider Verse very much embraces that. Because yes, the, the, and of course the message of the film is anyone can be Spider-Man. Yes. Because what the film does is it aim. I think it sort of like it aims to answer the que- to change the answer to the question who is Spider-Man. Yeah, I think if you were to ask most people, most of like the general movie-going public before this film came out, who is Spider-Man, everyone would have said Peter Parker. Right. Mm-hmm. The film obviously wants to change that to Miles Morales, mm-hmm. but it doesn't say that Miles Morales now only Miles Morales can be Spider-Man. No, there, sort of there's, has, no, there's no the Spider-Man. There's no the Spider-Man, yeah. and it has the confidence in that character and in itself to say anyone can be Spider-Man. It invites yeah. imagination of like the younger audiences to be like, you can be Spider-Man. Yes, you know? and Whereas, again, the kind of the, the the characters and the plot serve that ultimate. But I don't think when you're watching it, you're thinking, oh, the the theme of this is anyone can be Spider-Man. Yeah. When he does say that at the end, it is a bit like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but then you look back and you think, yeah, the fact they've included all these disparate. Uh, random yes. uh, Spider-Man yeah. alternates. Yeah, it's like, oh, didn't you get it? Yeah, anyone could be. You know, yeah, it's, and it's, it's not, really nice. And it's nice that the film is, takes place entirely in Miles's alternate universe, which is positioned yeah. as an alternate universe. Yes. So you could even say, like, the film is saying, like, oh, Miles is the Spider-Man of that universe, but yeah. maybe of your universe, you're Spider-Man. Yeah. And the Last Jedi. Fucking as long as it doesn't encourage kids to start trying swinging off. Roots. Oh yeah, don't do that. <laughs> then it'd be fine. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Um, that's why I think it's diversity done right, because The Last Jedi did that, yeah. and then Rise of Skywalker retracted that. Yes. And when you just look at Rey's character compared to Miles' character, I think, yeah, this is definitely... I'm, I'm sure this is fodder for a future right. podcasts as well, but yeah, the, the, the latest Star Wars series is, is a cautionary tale about everything not to do if you're making films, yes. basically. Yes, absolutely. But anyway. Yeah, but that is a discussion for another yes. day. Yes. Um... 
The scene, this is a far more specific comment that I have. Do it. The scene where Miles encounters the alternate universe Peter Parker. Right. Which is the Peter Parker we follow for most of the film. Mm-hmm. He, like, they have, like, a bit of a scene where that Peter Parker ends up being knocked unconscious. Mm-hmm. And then to escape the cops, they sort of, like, attach themselves to a train. Yeah. And then they're being dragged behind a train through the city streets. Mm-hmm. That feels too slapsticky for this film, I think. I don't know okay. how you guys. Okay. No. It feels like too broad a... I didn't know how to phrase this, because I didn't want to say that it felt too cartoony, because this is a cartoon. Mm. And it's a comic book. Like, it's trying to look like a comic book as well. When characters, like, hit each other in fight scenes, they even have, like, the like the speech... like The, the, the pow battles, and the... The pow and the wallop and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And they don't, they don't even freeze frame, they just kind of integrate it into the action. So it's weird to say that it feels too cartoony, mm. but that slapstick scene was just too broad for me and I felt like it was too broad for the film. It took me out of it slightly. Is that a function of age? It could be, but it felt like it was appealing to an audience younger than the film is I don't know, because I think that the film to... is universal. Yeah, I yeah. think like really young audiences can see this film. Oh, yeah, it's not yeah. like a 12A or anything mm. like no, no. that. I think, I mean, it's, it never occurred to me watching the film that it was out of place. When I watch animation, there's always the understanding I have, like, I'm going to have to put up with some Juvena- juvenilia. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like some bits that I don't love because mm. it's you yeah. know it's playing to the late young, young audience. Yeah. I guess if I was written it off as that, I was like, okay, that's a bit that I don't personally mm. love, but we'll get past this back to the dialogue and back to the, yeah, the, the yeah, cool yeah. dynamics and everything. The whole thing with the train, I treated like it was a callback. I, it, uh, yeah, I think it was definitely a callback. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because this film immediately starts calling back to previous Spider-Man ventures. Including yeah. its failures. Including its failures, yeah. yeah. It loves the fact that it's a Spider-Man film. It does. Yeah, yeah and it it, does. may, it it doesn't hide from that. No. no. Um, but yeah, that scene, it's just a little bit too... Again, it's not like the film isn't cartoony already, mm. but it's like, okay, this is one of those... Because I think even like as they're getting dragged along by the train, the characters are getting like bruised, and mm. I think at one point like a tooth falls out. It's one of those things where, like, okay, the film is going to have to ignore the injuries that these characters would have sustained in order to carry on now. And I'm not saying the rest of the film doesn't do that, because it's, like, a comic book film, so they're in these, like, very perilous fight scenes and stuff. But the film as a whole feels a little bit more grounded than that. Just a little bit. Just enough for me to watch that scene and go, this feels slightly out of place. Okay. Obviously, that's not something you two feel. No. No, I think because of the style of animation, it's sort of a film where... I'd have to rewatch it again, I suppose, with that in mind, but mm. it feels like a film where anything could happen. Really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Which is usually I is something I'd cite as a weakness. It's not yeah. a weakness in, in the case of this film. No. Uh, but I will, next time I watch it, bear that in mind. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I would like to touch on mm. um, is its soundtrack. Okay. Oh, okay. What yeah. would you like to say about it specifically? So, I was vaguely aware of the Post Malone song, yep. Sunflower. Yeah. That the soundtrack will see it goes up and down as mm. different, you know, mm. moods and things with different scenes. But in terms of how well it accompanies the film, yeah, like, I think it's a very, very well done soundtrack. Okay, okay. Um, like I downloaded the soundtrack. I like I paid. Okay. I paid for yeah. the soundtrack. The score as well. I think the Prowlers theme mm. is one of the better pieces of music to come out of cinema this decade. I think that kind of like, like that, like weird, almost like. Drony sirony I'd have song. To, the fact that I can't remember it makes me disagree. Okay. Do you know what I mean? But I would have I, to. It's one, to I it. think it's one of those things, though, as soon as I play it for you, okay. you'll know exactly know what I'm going okay. about. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm. The soundtrack is one of the things that I just sort of like 
fell into the background for me. Like I, I'm, I'm not really a fan of that song particularly. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Mm. Yeah, um, that it. Yeah, given that it is his like theme. Yeah, mm, it is probably the song, one of the songs I least like. Okay. Uh, okay. on on the album. Okay. Weirdly enough, the 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 song where he his roommate comes into the room, and obviously they're all like on the ceiling. Oh yeah. 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 Um, and it's a song called "Start a Riot," and it's quite like loud and brash and yeah. thing. Mm. I listen to that probably almost at least once every day at the moment. Oh right, okay. and I, I couldn't tell you why. Yeah, yeah. Like I couldn't do it. That's what I, I listen. Weirdly enough, I listen to it on the on the way to work, and it's like a. I, I don't know. Just I, I feel quite motivated to listen to it. Kind okay. of weirdly okay. enough. Interesting. Um, but then again, there's there's songs like "What's Up, Danger." Yeah. Um, which is typically a genre of music I don't really like or listen to, but I do. Quite like that song, yeah. Though it could just be because of its application in the film, you know, because yeah. it's a really it's, it's like very of, well you know, used in the film, yeah. It's that moment where that's like, like, yes, fucking yes, it's happened, you know. Yeah, but yeah, that is that's... don't don't smile as if like I'm, you know, he's nerding out. We're loving it. No, right. I'm just, I'm smile. I'm not smiling sniggeringly. Yeah, I'm just smiling. All right, like, oh, Jordan's getting passionate. Okay. Yes, yeah, uh, I you, smile when you get passionate. You, you're you're, ner- so you're nerding. Life. You're nerding out, and I'm loving it. Okay. Um, but yeah, that that's as I say, music's a big big thing for me. So yeah, um, I really like the because um, Miles is obviously from Queens, I think. Yes. Um, and he's he's an urban kid, you know. He's into like graffitiing and okay. he has like stickers that he like puts everywhere. I thought I was a euphemism for Hispanic, but go on. Oh right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say he's more Hispanic Ooh, or black leaning in terms of like how he his attitude and that? Oh, I'm not going to t- No, no, no. It's <laughs> exactly <laughs> that 10 foot ball pole that I may extend across the room and not touch. No, in terms of like what he like does and what he engages with and how he is, like, um... you know, because it might lead, it might lead further into my point about um, it's weird that they played up his biraciality. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, I think partly because we've already talked about how it's diversity done right. Yeah, the film never leans into his blackness. Yeah. Or his uh, Latino ness. Yeah. You know, it kind of he just is a kid of that ethnicity. Yeah. That's not an element like at all, really. He's just no. a kid. Yeah. You know, he's just a kid. Yeah, and that was kind of the point I was gonna make. Is In fact, he goes to a gifted school, doesn't he? Yeah, he he's, does. he's more white than anything. <laughs> oh, okay, then. <laughs> and I'm the one for whom the barge pole is needed. <laughs> yeah. Um But no, the point I was gonna make oh, is yeah, uh, okay. The point I was gonna make is that feels pretty authentic it doesn't feel pandering it doesn't feel like yeah a group of writers focus tested a character from that the people from that demographic it's like so what would a person like this do no no no. and like oh we're going to exclusively do things that this like focus group told us about you know yeah um where where you laugh that's sort of a funny idea um you know his father is a a black cop he's gonna shoot himself okay (laughs) okay (laughs) Uh, dear. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> That's a good joke. Come on, it is a good, good joke. joke. Yeah. <laughs> or is it? No, I have to condemn you now. Shame. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm honestly okay keeping that in. Okay. <laughs> it's a joke, isn't it? It's clearly a joke. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Oh, it's gonna happen at some point. Won't it? <laughs> uh, the problem is whenever we usually laugh like this when I'm listening back to it, that's always like, right, that's the thing we're isolating for social media. I don't know if we can do it. In this case. <laughs> it might be a bit like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> might lose viewers <laughs> after that. We've got like five. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that's pretty much everything I have to say on Spider-Verse. Much like the Lego movie, it's sort of like, you know, um, there are things you can say about it, but I think it's sort of like, it's something you have to watch, I think. Yeah. Something I would recommend watching. Yeah, again, it's the kind of film that I'm generally not into. Okay. And I'm a big fan of it. A big, big fan of it. Yes. Yeah, I I, um, I knew you liked it. Mm-hmm. But again, you were the one that recommended it to oh, me, right. not him. Okay. Well, yeah, because you, you mentioned on a... I can't remember which podcast it was, but you mentioned on a previous podcast you hadn't seen it, despite mm. being a Spider-Man fan, which I found very yeah. odd. So yeah, do, you feel, it, it, do you feel better for seeing it now? Do you feel like it's a film that you were going to... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I saw it. Um... It it was nice to see something sort of different from yeah. Spider Man. Yeah. It also I gotta say it feels definitive. Like I don't know how they can do another one now, to be honest. They'll no, find a way in this they, they always do. They'll find a way and... following one of the alternative Spider Man yeah. Spider Men. Uh yeah. I feel like Miles is kind of done now. I, I just mean like Spider Man as gen- genuinely as an oh, idea. I see. Okay. The feel the film feels so definitive, like this is the Spider Man story. Yeah. Anything else is gonna feel like a step down. Um mm. But but they'll they do. they'll manage to do something brilliant and yeah. I'll eat my words. But yes, it does feel like where do you go from here? Shocking as well that it is from Sony. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this portion continues because um this film came out. No, I was going to say this film came out before, but there were a couple of other Spider-Man films that came out before the temporary split between Sony and yeah. Marvel. Um. But yeah, it kind of felt like when Sony initially signed with Marvel. They kind of needed Marvel because Spider-Man wasn't doing very well. Mm-hmm. But then they had that split, and it's like, well, Sony have got Spider-Verse now. Yeah, you know, you kind of like you don't yeah. need Marvel at the moment. You've got this perfectly viable property that you've built from the ground up, and it's a film that's kind of like, it's it's a film so fit for merchandising without feeling cynical. It doesn't feel it's not like in Star Wars when like the Porgs show up and you're like, all right, that's the toy. Yeah, that they're gonna yeah. sell. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they kind of like weaved it so cleanly into the story, all of the different things so, you could do to market it. The one thing, the question I will pose mm. is: certainly, I think for a while, Spider-Man Two was considered the best. Yeah. Yes. Spider-Man film. I don't know where Marvel's ranking comparison now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But where is Spider-Verse in comparison? Broadly or for us? It, well, I, su- I suppose for us and broadly, really. I-, I think both would be, it's now the best. Yeah. I think the general consensus now is that Spider-Verse is the best. I think so. Yeah. Although, although yeah. people are very fond of the, the home series from they the are. MCU. They are. But I, I would, personally... I, I have seen both of those, and I would say personally, these are this is better than both. Yeah. Yeah. Personally, Spider-Verse is number one. For me, Spider-Man 2 is number two. Okay, the Tobey okay, Maguire yeah. Spider-Man. Well, that's yeah, fortunate, yeah. isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> I th- I think that's the best Spider-Man film traditional yes. Spider-Man yes. film yeah. yeah, but I yeah I the, the Holland stuff is innocuous enough. Yeah, no, I like I like the I like their place in the MCU. That's what I like about those yeah. films. I think if they were separate from that, they're a bit lower key. Yeah, they wouldn't have the same appeal. I no. think if they weren't in the context of this large cinematic universe. But what they represent in the grand scheme of things, I think, is why I like those films so much. Yeah, whereas Spider Verse. You know, you can start a franchise from it, but at the moment, as just a solo outing, it's yeah, I think it's the best. Thing and I think Spider-Man it might, to offer. like the Lego Movie too. I think it might be, it might abide the law of diminishing returns as well. Okay, I've got a horrible feeling that any more of that, yeah, will reduce it. Yeah, I mean, 
four Lego movies and we're kind of done now, aren't we? We had yeah. Lego Movie 1, 2, Batman, we had and a, We had a really good one. Yeah. A rather good one. I'm know. very fond of ba- Lego Batman. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. good then. I'll say good. Okay. A very good one. A good one. Okay, Ninjago wasn't good. And then terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Was Lego Movie 2 the latest one? Yeah. Okay, sorry. So Ninjago was terrible. Yeah. We skyrocketed back to... Uh, yeah. <laughs> and now we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Is that Spider-Man? That is Spider-Man. Go watch Spider-Man. Okay. My number four is... Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Which we can't discuss yet. We can't discuss. It's oh, thank God. A time-saving <laughs> activity. It's always... You that get yeah. to say. What are, you, what, are you, what are you doing there, Sam? What's what's going on there? He's a fucking genius. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I just clearly think I think lesser of films you. <laughs> I love films you love. Yeah, I, no, love no, I think you hit I the nail like, on the head. Saying, yeah, you, we already knew you loved this. 